0: David, my calves are so tight. Have you been
1: running? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, I have been running. So, well, we're meant to do an Evergreen podcast um, in, uh, advert where we can use it on any podcast. But if you're submitting to running, this is, this is going to be like a, a biannual. <laughs> this is very funny. That's very funny indeed. Get, <laughs> get off and explain
0: how I can help my
1: tight calves. So, do badders, if you've not heard our very overly long and bad uh, introduction of the pulse roll pulse roll pulse roll we pulse on, um, roll. BBC. Um, we, we, have, we were at the running show and national running show and we were walking around just to seeing what cool things there were, there were quite a few cool things, most of them we knew and then we saw the pulse roller which is basically a vibrator the size of King Kong um, <laughs>
0: it's not a vibrator it's a vibrating roller within within a foam roller (laughs) so you cut me off short i'm not sure that that's how it's developed
1: i'm not (laughs) i'm just i'm reading a load of vibrators and then we
0: put a foam roller over the top of it
1: exactly that's basically what they've done so instead of you if you've ever tried to roll um your muscles which is often quite annoying and painful one of those things that you never end up doing because it's just a bit of a faff you have to position yourself and then put your whole body weight on stuff and um it's it's just a bit annoying so this instead you just put it under wherever you want a little bit of a massage turn it on boom jobs are good one. and um and it works works really really well because it's, it's exactly like a, a focus roller but with a little help on the inside. Oh yeah, do we we've got an offer. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's going that's really interesting David. And thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you want to get one for yourself and uh, help support the podcast, go to pulseroll.com and you get 20% off everything on offer. Just use the code FYB for fuck you buddy. And uh You'll be rolling away the rest of your days. <laughs> I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. You'll be buzzing. Exactly. Exactly. No more injuries. Sweet. They're bad. They're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast
0: with your hosts Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back, baby. Come back. With
2: bye
1: bye bye. Bye with bye 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 admit I was a clone' to be messing around but that doesn't mean that you have to leave Don't come back.
0: How you doing? I'm all right how are you David Hallard? I'm great are you wearing a Hawaiian shirt? My god why is why is what I wear <laughs> such an important like literally no one can stop commenting on it
1: it's not a Hawaiian shirt it's just a floral shirt. There's the is, there are very few things that men can wear that's seen as fairly standard that is actually a statement piece. And a Hawaiian shirt is a statement. It's
0: not a Hawaiian shirt.
1: It's just a patterned
0: shirt. That's all it is.
1: Is it a pattern of a Hawaiian flower?
0: <laughs> it's, it's a, a pattern shirt derived from a Hawaiian
1: print. <laughs> it's the island of Hawaii m- multiple <laughs> times with a little flower in the middle. Um, it's like literally any shirt... That
0: is short sleeve and has any element of colour on it. <laughs> it's automatically a Hawaiian shirt, and everything that connotes as well. Well, I think that means summer's here. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm absolutely freezing. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I've got. I've, I've. It's taken this long to get into um, to shorts. So now I'm in shorts. I've got my sandals on at last. I'm feeling. I'm feeling pretty summery.
1: You're a sandals man, are you? I am a sandals man. Ah, I never... Stop something, don't worry. It's not okay. that. See, I'm always in shorts all year round, um, but rarely in sandals just because I'm in trainers. But, um, ooh, I don't know if I am a sandals man. I, I I had a pair of sandals that my friend Leroy laughed at me about, and now... Why? I thought they were kind of, well, they, they anyway, D-Banners, welcome to, welcome to the podcast, welcome to the podcast, but um, I thought they were, I got them to do some kind of like serious man hiking, you know what I mean, those kind of sandals, I'm like, I'm, oh, going,
2: okay.
0: I'm yeah, going to yeah.
1: Afghanistan, I'm going to Smiley sand.
0: I need oh, yeah.
1: sandals that are heavy duty where, you know, I can... I can walk up Everest in the... when well, probably not Everest. I can... Uh, I can Killian. Walk. Killian
0: could run up Everest. Killian yeah. could
1: run up Everest in these. No problem. They're, they're kind of things that... that they're nice. And they're, they're like all sandals. They're sand colour. Come um, <laughs> on, what else? What's wrong with these sandals? That's about it. That's about it. They've got straps and not much else. And for me, they're... You know, they're kind of slightly... Action Manny. but all the things I saw into like a positive, he kind of made me feel like maybe they're a negative. Oh, did he? Yeah. He
0: made you feel bad about your sandals. He did, he did. He gave you sandal anxiety.
1: Yeah, I've never had it before, sandal anxiety. been nicely, Roy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, do welcome to the Bad Boy Running Podcast. Uh, What's your, your sandals, <laughs> do sandals, Doobadders? all we about. Do you wear them? Absolutely. It's the fact that does link in. Maybe Stephanie wears sandals. We'll talk about her later. But um, how... Oh, before we go into how you are, how I am, I have a specific request from the DoBad community. I actually need their help.
0: You have a request of the community or from the
1: community? Of of the community. Oh, oh, oh okay. So I'm, a, I'm a taker. You know this. I'm a taker.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard.
1: <laughs> so... Um, as as many of you know, sorry ladies to bring this up again i know, I know it's hard for you um I'm getting married next summer whoop, 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 whoop. and um we in, fully intend to have newton faulkner um our favorite artist playing at our wedding um now he's he is kind of semi aware of this, but he's not fully come to terms with this fact yet so
0: <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> uh I don't really understand. He is
0: aware, so you can't just you can't just book him. Then he's just well corralling him. Even his agent's been ignoring me. To be fair, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think
1: I, I think well, he, how, does he, how does he partly know about this? So we, so Claire and I, he's kind of our musician. He's if we had to choose someone, <laughs> you know, when you have some some couples have a song um we have i'd say if, if we were to choose an artist that we both loved love massively like really into we'll always be happy to always go get excited about it it would probably be walk the moon and Newton Faulkner but walk the moon and never in the uk so we've seen Newton Faulkner you know countless times the last time he went he played carnaby no the palladium yeah. and because i uh because I'm a member of some kind of email list, we managed to book front row tickets to the Palladium. Right. So while he was, he was doing this acoustic set, it was great. And then in the break, we then held up seven signs, which he then went, oh, uh, and started reading them out, which was along the lines of, Newton, what are you doing this date? They're getting married <coughs> in Devon. We're going to Instagram you come play our wedding and he kind of read them out and the crowd were absolutely loving it as all crowds do and so the crowds are really into it and he was uh he was very nice about it and then moved on and we said we'd instagram him i've been instagram himming him-ing him and he's not <laughs> one of these people that has millions and millions of followers so I, i'd i'm, I'm not you, didn't say it to Look, you can't be that busy <laughs> <laughs> but Wow, exactly <laughs>
0: You're not that famous, you're not that big. You haven't broken America or anything. Come on.
1: Yeah, and and he's he you know, he comes across as a very, very nice man as well. And so but he's also his Instagram following is small enough that I assume he probably sees the message. Like he is possibly ignoring us as opposed to unaware of the follow up. So we need to make sure that he's fully aware that we want him for this wedding. And I figure out the do community are the kind of creatives, creative cool cats who can help. I so- like the fact that you've, you've put that down
0: to creativity and not just like, you're, you're thinking, oh, what, what we'll use, we'll use this clever ninja tactics, like shooting, like targeting like a sniper rifle. And actually, the way the Doobanners do it is more like a Dresden firebomb. You know, a saturation bombing with a load of... uh, We need to milkshake Newton. Just milkshake milkshake (laughs) Newton as hard as possible. Is that what it's called? A milkshaking is when we we shake someone down. (laughs) We need
1: to milkshake down. That's brilliant.
0: (laughs) A milkshake... A digital
1: milkshake down. (laughs) (laughs) So, Doobanners, if you don't know who Newton is, do listen to him. He's amazing. he, He will... He, he'll find a place in your heart. Um, although I imagine a lot of do baddies are probably into their rock and stuff, so maybe not. But um, get on Instagram and just tag him in any posts related to wedding or not, talking about the wedding, talking about bad boy running, direct messaging. Um, I, I don't really know Instagram enough to know the most, um, the best way to do it. But no, nothing. I'd say go out of your way. There is, there's no, nothing too small that you can do. So, nothing too big that you can do, or even too small that can help
0: <laughs> us. Nothing too illegal, sinister. <laughs>
2: We're
0: putting it down to creativity. Let's see if you can, if the, the most sinister wins.
1: Exactly. So, please, 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 please make our wedding day.
0: there's other ways to do it. So, the, the thing is, it's all about um, carrot and stick, isn't it? In order to get people to do things, you're either carrot or stick. And so, you know, the carrot could be, you know, the actually by doing this you know we have like a quite a large community now 2,500 somehow um you know that actually there's an opportunity to you say it's not that big that's going to significantly increase this
2: (laughs) I mean it's bigger than that it's bigger than
0: that (laughs) I know but this is this is it's little audiences you need to win little audiences and but lots of them so and and maybe we're looking for a new theme tune uh, possibly possibly possibly. but that's it uh, so that's the that's the carrot, you know that actually put your you know put your songs in front of all these people maybe new new audience and everything you never know we know that we have um, a lot of people from the music industry and uh, like big time people within exactly. the group
1: and and the, the stick is i mean he is the a... stick is you start singing his stuff every <laughs> single day until he that's going to put people off isn't it <laughs> also he's a he's a dreadlocked hairy man those milkshakes are gonna they're not going to wash out easy so you know there's a big stick there I
0: didn't think it was going to be something like uh, uh, some kind of like, physical assault but if, if we're going down that route <laughs> so, so, so the options are is be nice to Newton or give him a milkshake down online let's start,
1: let's start, with, the nice. start with the nice start with the nice and we could even start with, with buying him milkshakes and he'll be like <laughs> oh I like this milkshake thing and then at some point someone will come in and be like look mate Look, mate, we've we tried to be nice. If you don't want these milkshakes going all over, you know, we can spill these milkshakes as much as we can buy them you, mate. Yeah, you know oh, one I'm
0: trips, you know, if, you, if things weren't going, away, going <laughs> away, all of a sudden, this milkshake gets a little bit you jittery. you uh, silk
1: in here, oi, oi, like, yeah, listen, oi. oi, listen, mate. I don't like your music, but my
0: friend does. I think you will just Yeah.
1: Although I've just realised, I don't think we've ever used these stings with the Fee Silk cut where we compare her to an East End gangster. So that probably comes across as just very rude about, <laughs> about <laughs> Fee silk. I don't know if we've ever used those stings. We've got about 20 stings that have never really gone out or had the context. So <laughs> Fee, we've got a whole back catalogue ready for you.
0: Oh my goodness! Well, to be fair, that's pretty similar to, to to the rest of the podcast, isn't it? Referencing things that have been cut out or not used that we've had private conversations about and thought we've <laughs> talked about on the podcast. It's, so, actually, that like, that leads us on to something very nicely, which I feel is a uh, is, is political, mm. but I feel that it is uh, intrinsically linked to us, and that is the uh, yeah. When we're when we're recording, we've just had the European elections. Uh, and it's the it's the milkshaking of of politicians now. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I, where where did that come from? And I I love the fact
1: that um, it, it's got to the stage that and and for the for our non-British listeners, this is uh, this gives you an idea and maybe it's something you can adopt in your native country. But um, McDonald's had even said they weren't going to be selling milkshakes in the area of a ukip rally um oh no so of a a brexit party rally and then burger king cleverly came back and said you know we sell equally good milkshakes that we will be serving (laughs) throughout the event (laughs) so clearly trying to every little penny every
0: penny (laughs) i love burger king I love Burger King. They just—they—they they really do know how to how to uh, take advantage of an opportunity. It's utterly brilliant. But what is just what a strange thing, you know? We've talked about you know the milkshake situation for such a long time, and then all of a sudden, it's just—it's
1: yeah. just—it's just kind of taken off. And it's it's better than an egg, I think, as a vehicle for launching because it's got more weight behind it. You're less likely to miss, and I think impactful when it hits. And
0: the thing is, about an egg, is that an egg hits you, okay, you kind, you kind of, I mean, it's a bit mucky, but you can kind of walk up. The problem with a um, milkshake in this weather is oh, the longer you hang around, the worse it's going to get. Oh, yeah, true. That's the thing. And it goes everywhere as well. It's not just like a little splat somewhere. Because, you've yeah, seen politicians with eggs thrown on them before, and they, um, you know, they can kind of wipe it off and get it. But when you've been milkshaked. It's viscous. It's gloopy. It, it looks <laughs> the man of experience. Sinister. So I, get, I like to point out: I was never hit. I was never hit. I I, I had an eye for it. But I like the idea that you know. That part of me thinks um, you know this is this isn't great for political discourse in the UK because you the whole idea about uh, freedom of speech um, and freedom for political discourse means. That you should uh, yeah, you should be able to express any political views as long as they don't uh, incite violence um, with freedom and and respect and give other people the opportunity to argue back, but on the other hand, I think it 's fucking hilarious when <laughs> Farage is <laughs> kept in a coach surrounded by people who can milkshake him he 's like literally <laughs> under siege <laughs> from people holding milkshakes it's such a basic the, the idea that You can't leave the whole idea that, you know, you can actually disrupt uh, like a right wing rally with something as simple as a milkshake just shows you how paper thin like civilization really is.
1: I I, see. Finally, for years, I've been just hating the fact that no matter where you go. There's a McDonald's there, everywhere you go. Whereas now, you could be walking down the street, you spot a Farage, you're only two minutes away from a milkshake down. <laughs>
0: that's, that's, you're like, no, keep opening them up, guys. Keep opening, like, well, that's the idea. We turned it around. We're looking at them as armories
1: now, rather than uh, fast food restaurants. Well, I, love, I love the idea of him giving a rally where on the front row, there's just 30 people all drinking milkshakes, really sinister, in a sinister way. And he's there like, oh, it might just be, maybe it's Coca-Cola's, maybe they're, uh. but yeah, I mean, I, I I feel the same way as you in that I, I certainly don't think we should be milkshaking our politicians at all sadly as much as I did enjoy seeing him covered in that stuff you know gets him in the headlines which um, but yeah I it's a shame but the good thing is he's going to retire from um, when he announces his retirement speech that's when the time is
0: has he uh, wait a minute hasn't he, hasn't he like almost like retired two or three times he has like more retirements than uh bloody uh, frank sinatra He's like, oh, my job is done. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, people to be betrayed. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. It's...
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this, maybe we'll make sure the next one is the, the final one. He'll be like, I don't want to come back after this. So uh, be drowned in a vat of milkshakes.
0: Well, he's going to probably move to France or something like that, isn't he? We're well, well away from a McDonald's somewhere. So that, I mean, that's going to be the irony of it, isn't it? He's going to live abroad and somewhere where they, they don't have McDonald's.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's France, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, from from abuse to more abuse. This is, um, <laughs> although actually not in a not in not, not a good way. Actually, this is this this is where I think as uh, two white males, and although you're not a Londoner, so I think it's possibly you you've counter this more than I have. Oh, I don't know actually. I'm just wondering where you were going to say. I thought you were going to pull out one particular city. I <laughs> I in... I was going to say. I, I imagine a
0: lot more in places where they don't. Have, you know, there's not a huge, huge amount of like, you know, runners. Like for example, yeah. in Brighton, around like marathon time, there's there's loads of runners out everywhere. Yeah. Um. But I, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's I think it's like the further out you go, the more. I suppose it's down to whether people feel they can get away with doing it and stuff. It's just the mentality of, of, of some people, like, drive, because you've got two people, you've got, I mean, this is the other thing. We're talking about drivers, like, mm. leaning out, shouting stuff. But then other people, like Lou, was talking about other runners, like, yeah. abusing them as well. You know, like, well, that is, I mean, that is insane, isn't it? Other runners abusing them. I mean, like, we expect them Yeah. Like yeah, and we expect, we expect runners to be um, slight dicks, in the sense that, you know, you might nod at them and they ignore you. Yeah, or you might try yeah. to say hello or something like that. You can expect them to be dicks. But to actually, like, go out the way to be abusive is, is, is kind of insane. But I think, I think you, with them, with it's amazing, actually. Because the, the, I've had, you know, I've, of course I've had that milkshaking situation. Then I've had, like, biscuits thrown at me. Uh, and when I, <laughs> That's when a I was,
1: good thing, surely. What type of
0: biscuits? <laughs> well, not when I was looking. I was facing the right way. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not comparing this in any way to like abuse or anything like that. It's like a seal. It's just, it's just, it's, I mean, it's just the weird bit. It's the weirdness of going through someone's mind, like you say, literally bored, and they, they think that's a good idea. Yeah. But when I, um, you know, very early on when I started running Ultras, before, you know, a lot of people saw all the kit, before it was like, you know, you see loads of people out, you know, with like yeah. uh, rucksacks and water bottles and stuff like that. I used to get a ton of abuse. A ton of abuse, like, and that was only on the, the little stretch up to running in Brighton before I got to the Downs.
1: Was that with your your funny pack? Is that why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> funny pack. My fanny. Yeah, for some reason they're abusing me with my with my pink, uh, was it called sleeves and my uh, knee high, uh, what's it called, socks? And I don't know why. I don't know why they did it. Especially I have one of those uh, baseball caps turned the other way round, uh, like uh, like Corey Feldman or something. And I just don't know why I got all this abuse. Um, I
1: think it's it, it's because people aren't challenged, isn't it? But I mean, it's just. It... And normally, when people say, "I think of it actually," but I don't know about this. I don't know what we can suggest. I don't. I don't know if the community. There's much we can do. Other than, what well, people were saying to just try and confront it, but I don't know if that's the right advice because you're essentially confronting someone who's already aggressive and clearly is the type of person who's probably quite angry at heart.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: exactly. Um, and you know, they're gonna have more to lose from... So you're going to have more to lose well, from your situation in your so, life than probably they will.
2: So there's,
0: I think there's, there's two groups of people, isn't there? There's either like uh, kids
1: who are bored and doing yeah. shit like that,
0: yeah. which I don't think there's much you're going to do about that at all. But that's... You know, uh, but, and then you've got like... And I'm going to do a massive generalisation here. Dickheads in vans. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. seems to be a thing. And I think in that situation, if you get a dickhead in a van, quickest thing you can do is take a photo of their van, see if they have an employer... Mm. and if they've got an employer report it to them because I've heard about people doing that because that is you know it, it's making their it's making their company look bad
1: although the only thing is you're likely to phone up the guy himself <laughs> well, well you might do but in no, situations no, no. Well, and I guess at least maybe if you phoned him and said how he felt it might be something that they don't because it reminds me of um I saw something else to do with uh in New York, not even runners, but just women and people making comments to women, and they then went and interviewed these people and said, "How do you, how do you think it makes them feel?" And none of them had considered that it made the women actually genuinely scared and concerned for, um, you know, f- concerned for, concern for their physical well-being. The yeah. men just thought. they the women would find it funny or potentially quite liked it It, i mean that's i don't quite understand how bad these people can be at reading human emotion and um, body language but yeah a a lot of it i think people people don't either think through the consequences or just that stupid they don't actually think this is really going to hurt them like emotionally
0: but it used to it used to be the case didn't it like
1: And it's changed now because they, the construction industry went through this.
0: But it used to be with builders, didn't it? Mm. We builders walking along. And it was, I remember it, like, when I was a kid. Any time, like, any girl walked by, you'd be get, they'd be getting, like, cat calls and wolf whistles and, and stuff mm. like that. From literally, and I think even someone mentioned that on the, uh, on the, um, on the group. And they, they, they stamped that out. They essentially, stamp that out. Um, I don't know how much to, that still has. Like you say, it's really difficult. It's really difficult to judge if you're not subject to. It. Like you have all this, um, all this abuse going on, and if you don't see it or you don't experience it. But like, you know, the idea, like you know, my daughter going out for a run and someone like shouting shit at her, is absolutely frightening. Yeah,
1: yeah. and the I, th- I think as well, we've we've spoken quite a few times about the obstacles for people who are new to running who are maybe slower you know body conscious i mean if if you're having established runners who are you know confident in the way they run having this abuse then what are people who are already looking nervous who are looking self-conscious who possibly are, are um, going to be the type of person who's Oh hello. Oh. <laughs>
2: um,
1: no, no exactly.
0: That's the that's the thing, isn't it? The um... oh, wait, wait, wait. Hello. Quick, quick, quick. Right, I'll go upstairs.
1: You see what we've discovered from this, uh, this interjection listeners is quite surprising. I assume that Jody lived in a one bed sit flat, so he could just open the door from wherever he was recording because it was just one room. But he, it turns out he lives in an absolute mansion. He might. Meet <laughs> no, don't start that. Wait, wait. I posted a photo of me talking
0: to Ali the other day, and the piano is in the background. And all of a sudden, <laughs> if you own a
1: piano, obviously that means that you're landed gentry. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it was a grand piano, to be fair. It was. And it was it, the bottom of a curving staircase. It was. It was, only, no, it, it was only no.
0: wasn't. It was own. It was the servants' quarters piano, <laughs> so that they can they can sing and dance to themselves, when, when we switch the lighting off.
1: <laughs> um, no. Um, but, but yeah, that's. I don't really. I mean, do bad, is Let us know if you've tried anything that's worked, or if you've got any ideas, or heard of any initiatives, because it's something that. Well, we we we've got to try and figure out because. If it doesn't, if we don't, it's not going to stop. It's not going to go away. And, and you know, we, we clearly don't have the power to change it ourselves, but we can at least start.
0: It's um, like, the, th- the thing is, the, the thing about it is that it doesn't feel like there's consequences. And yeah. the, uh, the closest thing I can think to this as a way of resolving it is, do you remember that spate, like for about six months, you had all of those um, moped robberies in mm. London? People just like, and it, it was like an epidemic, and it wasn't until the police said, we're going to fucking ram you if we do it. And then they released all that video. Is this like, your solution?
1: <laughs> I mean, you, get in, <laughs> a
0: you get in a car and you fucking ram them. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I think but the thing is, I, it's not, well, not the ramming part isn't the, the lesson <laughs> to take from that. Because, you know, or, or pulling out some kind of. I mean, running with a milkshake would be
1: a good idea. Yeah, uh, or a set but, of keys that can just scrape away. Uh, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't the, that, I wouldn't advise that, wouldn't advise that. That's criminal damage, yeah. <laughs>
0: the, um, but the thing is, it's about consequences. People, they do that because they feel there are no consequences. And it, again, it's very difficult to do. It's very easy to drive past someone, shout some abuse and, and drive off and think that's hilarious. But it's there's almost needs to be you know a way of um, very publicly showing what happens if if this happens um
1: because I wonder if this is in a a a semi-public place you know I wonder that's what I I I don't I didn't get a sense of is this when people are in the street by themselves or is this when actually there are other people in the vicinity it's just they're not necessarily that close um because would do you do you think shouting out stop harassing me leave me alone very loudly um, I, I think with the Me Too movement now, people are fairly sensitive towards being accused of harassment. Um, and if you're a woman and you, and you were to shout, stop sexually harassing me, even if it's not sexual harassment, actually, it probably is sexual harassment because it's done to you because you're a woman, as opposed to if you were a man running, you probably wouldn't get the same level of abuse. So I think that means that it is termed sexual harassment. If you're to shout something like that, do you think? I mean, I this. It, we is might it? Might is be it, the is worst it,
0: advice is, is ever. It, yeah, sadly, is the law actually being broken there?
1: Um, but whether it is or not, um, it's it, it's about will it help the match or not? And um, I mean, do as a we're clearly absolutely clueless about this um, as ever. Uh, as as, as ever, concerned. yeah, yeah we've still <laughs> managed to talk for twenty minutes on <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, so let us know. You know, what has your experience been? Um, is this something we need to raise with?
0: You know, no, no but the reason, the reason I was asking what, what, you know with the actual because uh, it feels like the something has been done like a criminal that's been done but actually people start getting prosecuted i mean who's been has anyone been prosecuted has anyone had any any uh, negative effects of that you know that's the thing that's i think that's it it's not it's not it's it's um, it's just kind of dismissed and I, I think part of the reason it's dismissed is that like you say you know it, it, from a male perspective, it doesn't seem to happen that much to to, to men, unless it, uh, it you know with with the sexual element to it. Um, but um, you know how it, it's it's kind of dismissed, you know, sort of like publicly. Uh, so what, what? do people think? more seriously. Yeah, people feel like they're actually committing a crime, or or they're doing something that's, that's much, more, much more serious than it actually is, rather than a bit of fun.
1: But also, what happens if it's not a crime and there's nothing we can do about it? It just comes down to... Well, it to just behavior is doesn't it? Yeah, how do you change behaviour?
0: Um, because, think, you know, it's a crime and there's something down it. that drives then that's... that's cool. Like you say, but if you're not if you're a self-employed van driver or self-employed um, uh, person, and you have a van... Yeah, and and I'm, I'm making a change around vans yeah. here. Yeah. Of course, it's it's all sorts. Um, Yeah, like, that's it. It'd be interesting, actually, whether it's a or not. Um, because it feels like it is. Like you say, it's harassment of...
1: You know, we, we are saying about vans, but Jameson has a van... Um, Pete Faulkner has a van and I know they're both fairly abusive men so (laughs) maybe maybe there is a direct correlation we have some genuinely good news and it's not often that we actually have someone who has podiumed at the world championships Mr Andy Parry Andy Parry well you say that but when we announced it I noticed that he's left the group
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what it takes to excel (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's it
1: i i've got to stop being around my fans and sister wife he's probably and... been bored of tags just repeating me in <laughs> again and again and again it's the do better way to just repeat whatever joke is once said again um so i'm just checking the details here um just but just wonderful news it's the the british beard and moustache championships oh it wasn't even Oh, they announced it from the World Beard and Moustache Championships. So, yeah, I don't know the category, I'm afraid. But either way, I mean, that's... What do you think the trophy looks like? Oh, is he holding the trophy? He is. Oh, it's... He's, captured, he's caught in his beard, so you can't <laughs> see it. It's, it's just a bit of food that you put in your beard to uh, <laughs> take home with you. It's and home. But, um, right, I was trying to think of a good way to... From someone who has a beard... To a place where a lot of people, due to their religion, have beards.
2: <laughs> oh my god, that's rubbish. <laughs>
1: um, or, or because of the, or because of their laws to do with homosexuality, a lot of people will be forced to have a wife as a beard. <laughs> In fact, we've, we've already done this interview as, you've, you've, as as is now the the way we record for Duba, for Bad Boy Running. And JD, JD pointed out that because I know Stephanie, we didn't actually introduce the context of why she was in Afghanistan while we were recording. I mean,
0: I should have maybe should have pointed out during the interview, but I thought it might it might have got mentioned. But um, but yeah, so we st- we kind of launch into it. We start talking about her uh, being in Afghanistan, all these places it makes
1: it seem like she's a sort of really like undercover
0: like assassin or something like that
1: although in some ways that's cooler maybe we just leave it. No, maybe not undercover assassin she might actually then be taken out so uh, we definitely don't want that but uh, yeah so stephanie if we if if i failed to mention a lawyer for the united nations and uh well she's yeah as, as you'll see on top of that she's an incredible ultra runner so nick work your magic so do badders. uh this is this is one of the interviews i've been wanting to do for about three years now i met stephanie when we did the afghanistan marathon a uh, bit of a novelty for me but actually for her this was just part and parcel of her day her day-to-day life <laughs> she's a badass ultra runner and she's she's also they lived in some crazy, crazy parts of the world and trained for ultras while she's there. So she's, you know, lived in Afghanistan, living there now, Gaza, South Sudan, Kazakhstan. Um, she's done crazy races like the Tour de Gens four times, but the main reason I wanted to get her on is because of the work she's done with uh, women's in, women in areas of conflict. She set up um, Free to Run, which is a charity to encourage women in areas of conflict to get into running. And I wanted to talk to her about how that happened and then the impact of it, because it's, it's just an incredible cause and incredible story. So, welcome to the podcast, Stephanie Case. Yay! <laughs>
3: Hello! Greetings from Kabul.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, what's the internet like in Kabul, typically?
3: Um, it's not bad. I mean, it goes in and out. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we don't have access to, I'd say, everything that you might have access to on the outside. Certain yeah. sites are blocked, but um, that's fine. I, uh, I've got access to everything I need here, work-wise. I can get Netflix.
1: that's uh and in terms of your life eh? because we stayed for kind of a day and then i did a day at the end in in kabul and i think because there was four of us who were brits and probably unknown not real targets um we we got to go around quite a bit and see the city Mm -hmm. i went to the equivalent of their kfc we went to some really nice restaurant i mean do you get the chance to to explore or is it kind of too expensive for security or just too dangerous
3: Yeah, I mean, things have also changed. Um, They've deteriorated since you were here as well. Um, The threat from Daesh or uh, ISIS, known elsewhere, um, has gotten pretty bad uh, over the last few years. The kidnapping threat for internationals is, is pretty bad. Um, But when I'm here with the United Nations, um, I have to be under their security rules, and that means um, that I can't really do much. I was based here before, uh, seven years ago, and at that point, we could still go out to some approved restaurants in town, um, a few areas, but then just after I left in 2013, there were some pretty big attacks, including one on a Lebanese restaurant where... We lost some UN staff members and um, after some other pretty high profile attacks, um, a lot of the places that you could go in town uh, just started shutting down. And so there really isn't anywhere to go for, for us if we were allowed to go somewhere. I mean, unless you want to go to the, yeah, there's a fake KFC. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just not possible for us because whenever I leave um, this compound that I live in, uh, I have to go by armored vehicle with uh, UN on the side. We're not technically a target, but it doesn't mean that um, it's not going to be wrong place, wrong time. You know, there was a pretty big attack. Uh, was it just last week? Two days ago? Um, and I was probably maybe 700 meters away from it, and I could just see the smoke rising. And you know, I'm in I'm in an armored vehicle, but it doesn't really. Um, protect you from a, a suicide attack so the risks are, are still um pretty high <laughs> so, I, so i get around i i travel um i commute to the city every day i work in a different compound and, and i also fly around the country to the other provinces uh for my work so i i do get out way more than um anyone who's here with embassies or or things like that. a lot of ngos are just inside and, and don't even for, for compound very much
1: so it's so in terms of your ability to train them, because I know you, you did the the Barclay this year. You've you've already mentioned you're, you're going to do the Ronda this year. Um, although I've probably mispronounced that because my uh, my lack of experience <laughs> of the crazy races you do. So when you look at how you how you're going to structure your, your your week and how you're going to do the type of mileage you need to do for these insanely long races. Um, how do you, what have you got to play with and, and how do you manage it?
3: Yeah, it, it's, um, it's an exercise of patience, really. Um, <laughs> I, uh, work is, is pretty intense, so I'm lucky if I can get in, um, you know, an hour at the end of the day. Um, on the treadmill, or I can run around inside the compound that I live in here. There's a stretch of road that's about 550 meters. And then I can add on loops um, behind uh, containers, storage containers, apartment buildings. Um, Does that mean there's one
1: Strava segment (laughs) for the whole whole
3: area? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I, I play games with myself. You know, just seeing how much of the compound I can cover in orange lines and just, you know, little squiggles I can get in elsewhere. And if I find an extra, you know, 30 meters of dirt somewhere, um, I get very, very excited. You know, if they move the the shipping containers or if they move the the trash around the compound, it kind of opens up new trails. And that's that's a a pretty exciting day for me. (laughs) uh so yeah so i've run around the compound um it's getting starting to get hot now uh but we're at high altitude we're at about 1800 meters so the night's so cool um but yeah the biggest problem is just getting in the, the elevation actually um time um and that i can obviously only do on the treadmill and that's just soul crushing you know on the weekends um, right now I'm trying to do four to five hours of running on Friday which is a weekend day here and then I try to do four hours of uh, hiking uphill on the treadmill on Saturday Um, so it's you know it's doable it's just so boring (laughs) you know you have to be willing to to give up a large chunk of your day um, to just I want to say sit there on a machine you're obviously not sitting but Mm. You don't get the same benefits as you would for going out for a four-hour of course. And there's no way to really train for the downhill. Um, so I do have a tire um, that I can pull around here. I originally got one off of the armored vehicle. Um, I think it was off of an armored vehicle. Anyway, it was just huge and and heavy and (laughs) there's no chance that I was going to be able to run with it. I've got a smaller tire that I pull around. I haven't been using it lately. Um, I've been trying to focus more on just weights and and doing my my runs on the compound. But yeah, it's it's just not inspiring. I think um, I just have to keep in mind that every mile I log in here in the compound Mm -hmm. will make... My time, my short time that I get when I get out of here on the trails a lot more enjoyable. And so I just I just try to keep that in my mind. And, there, you know, there are ways to make it to make it interesting, like finding more yeah, garbage piles, trail sections in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what, what would you because I'd actually assume that you almost have to do preparation to be able to go and do a five or six hour a mental preparation to, to, to get ready for that and also just to keep yourself distracted in that time. Like what what are you typically going through during those, those six hours?
3: <laughs> uh, I, I start off with cheesecake. That always helps. <laughs> so I get up and I, I get a piece of cheesecake and bring that to the treadmill with me. And, you know, it's, it's a nice way to, to start. Um, I try to break it up um sometimes into a couple hours in the morning and then maybe a couple hours in the afternoon. Um which isn't really what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing it continuous, but um I do give myself uh the wiggle room to to change things up just so I can I can avoid going completely mental. Um yeah and then you know I've done um I like I really, really like running Late at night. So sometimes on a Thursday, which is like a Friday night, uh, it's at the start where we can hear. Um, if I know I have a big run to do on Friday, um couple of times I'll start actually just doing it in the middle of the night because it's when the compound is the quietest and I feel like it's more it's more private. It feels more like my space. Mm. Um whereas I feel quite exposed if I have to run around the compound during the day on the weekend because the, the issue with living in a place like this is that we're living in the same place with the people that you work with. And so just imagine if, you know, you're going to go out on the trail or go out for a run, but every time you went out for a run, it was like a corporate challenge where, you know, mm. you saw everyone in your bank or your office or, or whoever. Um, and that, that takes away, I love my colleagues, but it, it takes away, from the experience for me, um, and I like to escape when I'm running. So when I do it at night, um, it's just me and the, the Gurkhas, just me and the, the Nepalese guards that we have. And, and then I can use my imagination a little bit more and pretend that I'm just running along a street in the dark somewhere. Um, the, there's less noise. Um, you still hear the, you know, the, the sound of the, the planes, um, and the only things at night are, are military ones, really. Um, you still hear gunfire sometimes, but I can, I can pretend a little bit more and I can, I can disappear and have more of a, um, just more of a private experience. So I, I really do like trying to, to do my runs at night. And do you find cause
1: as someone who for comrades last year i was training almost exclusively on roads you know, you yeah. do there's a real worry that you're actually going you're so narrow in your training that all your sinew or the tendons or the interconnecting muscles just aren't getting a chance to be used at all and it, that potentially I guess, could be massively compounded by just being on a treadmill so much have you had have you found any issues with that and and have you come up with any solutions for it
3: oh yeah tons of issues no the the training here is terrible (laughs) (laughs) it's it's really terrible um the solution is to do a lot more uh, weight training um Mm. i do i do it i'm trying i'm trying to do it more um, I know that that's the solution, but sometimes pff, it's even harder to get me to to do weights uh, <laughs> than it is to get me to run for four hours in a treadmill. Yeah, no, I, I find it it absolutely it um it changes. I'm not getting the full range um, of training or the full benefit that I would normally get because your your feet are landing in the exact same place and the exact same angle. Um, you know, even when you're hiking uphill on a treadmill, it only goes up to 15% and it's, you're not really pushing off in the same way that you would do on a trail. So it it Mm. definitely doesn't give you the same, the same benefit. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I went out for the Barkley a few days before I, I just, you know, went on a couple hour little jaunt around, um, on the Mark trails, just to reacquaint myself. And I was so sore the next day. (laughs) I, I, You know, how am I supposed to go into this race when I'm sore from just a tiny little wreckage? And it it happens happens every time I get out of here. My first run, I go, I think I'm fine. And then I'm destroyed the next day. And it's just, it's something I have to accept. I try not to panic. um, Because it doesn't seem... It seems to hold me back at the beginning, but if a race is long enough, or you know, if my training time is long enough, then it, it evens out at the end.
1: <laughs> That's really interesting because I'd have thought that it would it wouldn't actually come back, you know, very easily, and it would. Yeah.
3: You know, it's it's really weird because in so in Tornejon, this is uh, um, this race in Italy I'd, I've done the last four years. It's three hundred and thirty k. 24,000 meters of climb and um you know the second year I did it I did it in 98 hours and 15 minutes and I was um I had just come out of Gaza at that point but I'd had I think maybe six weeks or a month and a half um in order to to train properly so I had time out of Gaza but really my training wasn't that good and I I did I smashed it I had this amazing performance I mean for me I was still throwing up and you know crying and doing all the things I normally do but <laughs> performance I could have had um and finished second female on that race and then the next year you know I had just amazing training I was living um in Geneva I was in Chamonix every weekend and that year I was almost 10 hours slower and I completely blew up and you know all of that good training hadn't hadn't helped me, and so when I went back to do the race last year, I'd been living in Afghanistan. I'd been super stressed out. I was really having a hard time adjusting living back here full time. Um, I was quite emotional. I mean, I just was not in a good space. Mm-hmm. And the first day of the race, I just I had to just sit by the side of the trail and like pull out my chips and just watch people. Me because my legs were just shaking. I mean, I could not do the climbs. And I was really wondering if I'd even be able to, to make it through that race. And day one was terrible. Day two, um, also pretty terrible. I was, you know, back, I'm used to being in that race up you near know, the top, and I was maybe like 20th. And, um, and I just kept going and I kept going and kept going. And in the end, it completely evened out. And I ended up finishing in 90 hours and 17 minutes, so like two minutes behind my time from two years ago. And it was just, I don't know how that happened, but I seemed to have gotten better as the race went on. (laughs) And all of
2: those,
3: the lack of training really affected me on day one and day two, but day three and day four, it didn't really seem to matter. And I kind of sped up.
1: (laughs) So you almost need to go two days early and just have an absolute shock.
3: Yeah, don't kill myself.
1: (laughs) And start the race (laughs) absolutely ruined.
3: (laughs) I should just start at the finish line, run to the start line, just for training, (laughs) and then I'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's not ideal. I'm doing what I can to keep up my fitness. I'm definitely relying on, you know, the past 10 years. Um, I think if I was a new ultra runner, it mm. would not be as possible, but I also think there are some benefits that are hidden that I don't, it's very hard to measure because when I'm living in a place like this, when I go into a race, I have like I put zero pressure on myself. So I'm like, whatever. I live in a war zone. You know, the fact that I'm here is a miracle. Hurrah. Yay for me. <laughs> and, and that really allows me to just enjoy myself. And when you're out on the trail and you can really just be completely out of the competition and just enjoy smelling pine needles and, you know, being around other people and not have that be a scary thing, which it is in a lot of places, um, you know, when I'm in Afghanistan to be able to have people just waiting at tables to feed you, you know, little sugary snacks and and cake and whatever. Ever. I mean that's such That's such a privilege And it's such a fun thing to do And I run my best when, when I'm like that so the fact that my Muscles suck and My reaction time is super full I mean trying to go downhill these days It's just there is mm, There's something wrong between the firing Between my brain and my feet Because <laughs> you need to train that part too And I, I can't train that here so the fact that all of that slows me down physically is fine um, because I think the mental benefits, they, they, do, they do help. It doesn't totally counteract the, the negatives, but for me, it's great. I, I, feel, I feel like a total rock star if I just make it to the finish line, and I love running like that. I love running like an underdog. I love running with zero zero expectations if i'm in the best place with the best training access to you know everything that anyone could need to be able to do well then i don't i don't tend to perform very well it's strange isn't it because it, it
1: like the the first part of your statement there almost suggests that you're unbelievably like mentally in control of of your um of your body and being able to push it as much as possible but then at the same point you can only do that when (laughs) you you can only do that when you have it's really odd isn't it you think you'd be good at all of it rather than just one one part of that
3: (laughs) yeah I don't I don't know I um I do think I can be mentally strong in some ways but um I find when I'm running, I'm also re- intensely vulnerable. And that's when a lot, um, a lot of stuff that builds up, especially when I'm living in a place like this, come out. Um, there's a lot of stress here that's just, sometimes it's just, it's almost too much to even deal with. Mm. Um, and whereas normally on a day-to-day basis, I would use running to help relieve stress. When I go running here, it, it doesn't relieve because I'm still here. And, you know, I'm still getting alerts about, um, you know, security threats. I'm still hearing gunfire. I'm still getting, uh, you know, as part of my job, I have to follow up on, um, you know, a lot of attacks anytime civilians are killed or injured. And so it really does build up. And then I, when I come out for, you know, a week's break, it, it will literally be the smell of pine needles that will just send me into a sobbing mess (laughs) I feel it in in every in every part of of my body and sometimes sometimes it helps fuel me and sometimes it it really just it shuts me down and I I can't you know I I just I I can't do it it's almost it's almost too intensive an experience Mm. um yeah it's, it's it's interesting it's it's an interesting example but why <laughs> but why
0: why why ultras in particular it, because you could you know you could you could you could be up for marathons or, or anything else but why why mm. like these long sort of drawn out ultras that are like because you cause you're, you're 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 already in a very testing environment so the way that you enjoy yourself is put yourself in a different testing environment. So, so what? what, yeah. what, what what's, have you I mean, I, I'm, I don't I don't know how much thought you've given that, or whether you give that thought all the time. Oh well,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's the same thing that that um, kind of drives me into the way I live my my life in general. But yeah. you know, I when I I signed up for my first marathon, um. Ugh, when was that? Maybe years ago. Um, I was doing it because I thought that that was the ultimate challenge. You know, the yeah. hardest thing that you could do. And I watched all these YouTube videos of, you know, people just collapsing before the finish line and crawling to the end. And I'm like, this is epic. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to be challenged like that. Uh, I wanted to f- to feel what it was like to be at a place where you. Physically did not think that you could go on because I'd never experienced that. And then see if I could get through that. And so ran the marathon. And of course, I mean, I think these YouTube videos I've been watching were like from you know the 70s when people didn't know about electrolytes. But you know, unless something goes really bad, no one is collapsing right before the, the marathon and crawling to the finish line. Um and so you know, I ran the marathon and it was fine. Um, I don't think my time, was, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly great. It was under four hours, but it wasn't, you know, it was nothing to write home about. Was certainly not, um, you know, not, not in the two hour mark or, or anything like that. And I, it was just disappointing. Because it, I felt like I put in all of this effort mm. and it was, it was hard, but it it wasn't the experience that I was looking for. I really wanted to be tested. I'm not saying the marathon isn't hard. It is hard to a degree uh, in a different way that I just do not want. I do not want (laughs) that kind of intense pain for two and a half, three hours, three and a half hours, four hours, whatever it is. I don't want that. Because it is the definition of insanity to me to train for a race for like a year to get your finish time down by 10 minutes because i just don't understand what the purpose is from a very primal evolutionary point of view what is the purpose of that i mean yes for people who you know want to get a good marathon time it's a massive accomplishment to get your marathon time down by 10 minutes or 5 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is but for me you know what if you have gas or like what if you have to go pee and then there goes a whole year of training and i just don't get it. How bad that's is your weird. gas? <laughs> what happens when you get gas? <laughs> or like, you know, what if you're a crab? But I mean, these things can like totally kill you. And that's what I think about. So when I run ultras, I can literally throw up on myself multiple times, <laughs> cry, fall down, be like bleeding from a limb, and I can still podium. And like, that is awesome. <laughs> and it also, it just, it feels more, um, it makes more sense to me. Just, just makes more intrinsic sense. If you say to someone, oh, I finished, you know, 42K in three hours and 10 minutes. Great. But if you say to someone, I ran under my own steam for four days and, you know, covered multiple countries. I mean, that is just, it feels like a real accomplishment and a real battle and the variation that happens during that journey it's like there's highs there's lows you're not tested once you don't hit a wall at you know 20 miles you hit like 10 walls and you hit the depths of like complete despair <laughs> and and you come through that and I just find that so interesting the different ways that your body can react different ways your mind can react um and it's it's just the full mind body experience that I just crave and I that's why I'm drawn to the longer and longer distances um because I don't know I just I'm not interested you know I've done Laboreto before I'm going to do it again in a few weeks it's 120k I mean it's it's going to be a great race it's going to be a hard race maybe I'll finish a couple hours slower maybe I'll finish 30 minutes faster I don't really care I don't care about Time. I care about the difficulty of the, the feet in it in and of itself. Yeah. And so I can only get that now by just longer and harder, stupidly or. <laughs> not <a> word, but <laughs> it is now.
1: Crazy. You've you've you've, kind of hinted, <laughs> now, yeah. you've you've kind of hinted that it's it, it is partly linked to almost uh, a way of um, a therapy from your your current pressure in your lifestyle do you think if you I mean have you had a period where you've been injured and not had the opportunity to get that and and do you think if you suddenly moved to Connecticut and was in a lovely <laughs> farm you know or just in a or you suddenly moved to Boulder or somewhere and lived there all year round do, do you think you'd still have that same desire for these insanely long ultras
3: yeah I mean it started I got into ultras 10 years ago and that I'd done a lot of um, like short-term work in, in different places but I hadn't gotten into war zones yet I hadn't um, this whole lifestyle of working in conflict areas just hadn't happened yet um, but I think the same thing that drove me into ultras is what drove me into into this line of work you know as a as a lawyer um, you know I started off in corporate law with you know, great job doing mergers and acquisitions in New York and stuff like that. I'm sure I'd be a millionaire right now. I'm not in a war zone. But, you know, for me, there are other people that can do that job. Um, there are fewer people who want to focus on, on this type of work um, and can... Um, and are are willing to to really do, I think it's the most fascinating job in the world, but it's not not for everyone. And so I'm I'm drawn to things that are, things I don't really understand, things that are unknown and things that are challenging. And so the same things push me into into this line of work um, are, I think, what what pushed me into ultras. Um, I have been through, yeah, periods of injury, not as much anymore. When I first started off, I just, Wow, like a demon. I was just training way too much, and I was getting injured all the time. Stressed, I have broken everything, stress fractured everything you know, from you know, tibias, my pelvis that was the worst. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I was living in Gaza, I uh did a race in um, it was the Transylvania 100 in Romania, um, and I. Absolutely bailed, uh, maybe a third of the way through the race, and just screwed my ankle and had to be carried down the mountain by four large Romanian men, which was hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, sidebar: they, uh, you know, the the hospitals there, they they just give everyone medical treatment for for free. So I didn't have a bill that I could show my insurance people when I um had to get my follow up medical care taken care of. And they're like, well, how do we know that you actually injured yourself in, in Romania? And so I literally sent them the selfies that I'd taken of me and the, uh, <laughs> the Romanian men carrying me down the mountain. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: um, Did that work? Yeah. When I it worked, it worked. When I was in when I was in Gaza after that, and I had no ability to run. I mean, it was I've never felt like a an huge animal. I mean, it was tough. terrible. It was terrible because I was stuck in. You know, not even an armed compound that I could walk around in. I was just in an apartment building, and I could only move by armored vehicle, and I I couldn't even walk anywhere, even on crutches. I mean, it was just... uh, It was pretty tough. But, but yeah, I think I I experienced... um, The worst that I experienced with that was two years ago, when I had quite a bad accident. And um, it was the kind of accident where... Yeah, where you almost die, and, and that's quite mentally hard to get over, and um, not to be able to run, uh, really run out of the hospital and kind of deal with the stress from that was was pretty difficult, and so in that situation, I really pushed the boundaries of what I was able to do physically to get running as soon as I could, um, which I got a bit of criticism for from, from other people, because they thought I was, you know, not responsible healing process and body and blah, blah, blah. But for me, the the mental aspect is so huge. And in order for me to feel like myself again, um, I needed to get running. And if it was going to set my physical recovery back a little bit, but my mind was good, then I think in the end, um, it's actually better for me.
1: And have you found that you've been able to recover to the athlete you were before?
3: After my accident? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, so, yeah, I mean, I was, so, basically, I, I uh, was in the Alps um, snowshoe running, had a bad fall, ended up hitting a tree, um, and so, uh, so I went, Um grazed liver laceration and punctured my lung. and I was by myself, uh, which was not you no, know? <laughs> um but i was able to um you know call for uh, a helicopter and, and get my gps coordinates out which was which saved my life i think um but yeah i mean it was it was pretty dicey there for a while just because the internal bleeding and um the liver uh it's not great i think to do that much damage. <laughs> I love,
0: I love, I, I love the nonchalance of all of this. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. first US. Oh, I just, I, ne- I nearly died. But, uh, but, the, but the really worrying thing was that it almost stopped me from running. It was like,
3: <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? Like, I didn't, I didn't have, I barely had a scratch on me from the outside. But, like, my insides were just a complete, complete it, it, I mean, it was, it was pretty serious, I mean, I, I'd never. And of all the different war zones I've been in, I've never had a moment. I've had close calls, but I've never had a moment where I actually had to sit there and contemplate, you know, this, what I'm seeing right now is actually the last thing I'm going to see. I don't even have the chance to say goodbye to the people I love. I mean, that was, that was what really screwed me up for, for a little bit, <laughs> mm. you know, I mean, to the point where I was thinking about, you know, writing messages in the snow to my mom. I mean, it was just, well, um, not fun to think but, uh, you know it, it was it was bad and I was in intensive care for um, um 3 days before they moved me to the um surgical ward I think but you know my first my my only thought was really look my legs aren't broken so when can I start running again when can I start running again <laughs> and <laughs> and you know I got an invitation for tortegeon while I was in the hospital and I I accepted the invitation from the hospital <laughs> Um I mean it was in January, the race is in September, there's plenty of time. But you know, when the doctors told me, look, you were not running this year, you know, you almost died. And I it just made me hysterical. And when I kept pushing them and I refused to accept this, um, they sent us a psychologist to come talk to me. <laughs> I was ah. like, I don't need a psychologist. I need a sports doctor, so I know when I can start
2: <laughs> running again.
3: <laughs> it, uh, I mean, who knows what they actually put on my chart? It's all in Italian, but I think I just thought it was completely insane. Um,
1: it was a lot of ay, yeah, yeah.
3: You know, they're trying to keep me alive, and I'm just like wanting to know about my my running schedule. I think, um, I think
1: it helps in but, some ways, though, to have a distraction, you know, from the reality of your yeah. situation, is not it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was the shock and the massive amounts of morphine. I mean, I had like two going inside, like into my lungs or whatever it was doing. <laughs> and um, you know, I was I was on a lo- I was on a lot of drugs, but you know, it for me it worked. If I'd followed the Italian doctor's advice, I wouldn't have run at all that year. But I signed myself out of the hospital early. I got back to Switzerland where I had my little team of doctors that I'd already been working with. <laughs> my various, you know, just regular <laughs> sports uh, <laughs> maintenance. And they had me running again three and a half weeks after my accident. Um, I mean, with the broken ribs. But once your, your liver is healed, and it heals pretty quickly, they said actually the physical activity... Um, the blood circulation, getting things moving again, could actually help my ribs heal faster. So they said, "Look, it's it's just going to be really painful. Um, so let's wait until you're off the pain meds, and you need to stay on the pain meds for for two months." Because I couldn't even lie down for two months, even at night, go to sleep. Wow. And I said, "Well, if I go off my pain meds early, then can I run?" <laughs> they said, "Yes." <laughs> so you know, it was just it was just painful, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't the kind of we deal with all sorts of pain in ultra running anyway. When you think about it as muscle pain, it's fine. When you think about it as broken ribs, it's a it's a little bit sketchier. But yeah. I just I changed it in my head and I said, okay, this is this is just muscle pain, and then it, and then it was fine. And then you know, I had such a I think it was a bit of an extra grind. I wanted to prove to everyone who was telling me that you know I was insane to be trying to run that this was actually good for me and it, mm. and it was I did I did the most ultras that I've done in any year I think that I did six ultras that year it was kind of like an ultra every three weeks um <laughs> I and I I was podiuming I was racing better than I ever had before
1: um so have you booked your next snowshoeing trip already
3: <laughs> 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 Yeah, I wouldn't do it again.
2: <laughs>
3: but you know, for for me, it was so it was so healthy. I mean, I think it ended up being too much, which is why I blew up at at tour at the end of the year. But everything leading up to it, you know, I just um, I felt so happy to be alive, and to mm. you know, anything could have happened in that in that accident. I could have if I would hit a different way. Um, you know, I could have been paralyzed. I could have, if I'd knocked myself out, then I'd be dead. If, uh, you know, my phone battery was super, super low. Um, mm. If my phone had died, or if when I hit the tree, I'd hit, uh, I'd hit the the side where my phone was. because I'd hit the tree on the, on the right side of my body. If I'd hit on the left side, then my phone would be broken. You know, there are all these things that could have happened that I um, could have gone really badly. And in the end, my legs were completely fine. It was a quicker recovery, I mean, sort of. And if I had, you know, sprained an ankle, <laughs> sort of. Um, so, yeah, I think. I mean, I, I think I'd do it. I wouldn't do the accident again, but I would do the recovery the same way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now um, we we also mentioned about uh, free to run at the at the top of the show, yeah. which, is, which is why we met each other. Um, and I know a, I know a fair bit about it, but actually, I I'm, I'm still in the dark a little bit about how it all started.
3: Yeah, well, you know, when I first came here to Afghanistan in 2012. Everyone said, oh, are you sure? You know, you're going to have to give up your running. It's impossible. Um, You're not going to be able to do anything when you're there. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. And so, of course, I was like, well, I'll prove everyone wrong and I will keep running. (laughs) And um, I wanted to do something with my running. And so I thought the best way that I'd be able to use my running when I was in a place like this Um, specifically to support women uh, because I felt that uh, Afghanistan was one of the worst places in the world to be a woman. It still is. Um, That I would just train for three ultra marathons, which at the time I thought was a lot, and run three ultra marathons in support of a a women's shelter. And so I did that and was kind of patting myself on the back. Ha ha ha, aren't I great? And um, you know, I mean, it it was a good thing to do, but the women that I got to know at, through my visits to the women's shelter didn't care really about money that I was raising to support the place that they were staying. They were just really interested in the running itself and that's what they wanted to do. And, um, it really was a wake up call to me that I wasn't thinking big enough about how I could be supporting women here. And, um, what the power of running could be doing more directly, um, to support women here. And so, you know, I spent the time that I was here actually talking to other organizations that were well-established, to try to get them to incorporate more sports programming for for women and specifically outdoor programming. And I hit brick walls all over the place. You know, some organizations would say, oh yes, you know, we do women, we do an, an annual volleyball tournament. I'm like, uh, okay, I mean, it's, it's something, um, or, you know, others would say, you know, that's, that's crazy. We're, um, yes, we do that for the boys, but you know, it's a little bit too dangerous. It's too sensitive to do that for the girls. You know, we have to keep a low profile, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm very wary of people just kind of starting, you know, their, their own NGOs, uh, Mm. because they want to have something of their own and, Mm. um, it's, I really would advise people not to do that. And I really tried to avoid doing that because it's, it's, it's a lot of work and there's a lot of organizations that are doing activities, and it's better to, to kind of try to incorporate your ideas into that. But I, I tried and, and no one wanted to take this on and it was very hard to get people to understand the importance, the value and the power that um, sports Running and and outdoor sports can have um, in the lives of women and changing the perceptions of the roles that women can and should be playing in society. And it's outdoor sports that that can do that. You know, women in places of, in areas of conflict, particularly in a place like Afghanistan, they're largely confined to the home. You know, public space is not a space for them in, in many ways. During Taliban times, um, you know, they couldn't go outside without having a male chaperone. And in many areas of the country, um, you know, women are still walking around in burqas. So that's the, you know, the blue kind of tents that they wear with a mesh of their, their face. Mm. So they're invisible. And that really dehumanizes um, women um, as human, it, it dehumanizes them. And mm. so, you know, if you can find ways to work with communities find ways um that women are able to move freely outdoors that's what changes um that's what has the power to change um not only how women feel about themselves but how the communities view them as well and all sorts of other opportunities in um in in their lives and so created free time um really to support women and girls living in areas of conflict because um, that's where i thought there's the most need and the most um, potential for positive change and it's it's there's three main aspects to the program one is that outdoor sports aspect so it, it is running but all sorts of other sports um, you know, we do hiking, we've got um, stand-up paddle boards here, we, we've got kayaks, uh, we built a nice skating rink, uh, The skiing, you know, anything we can, we can do that gets people outdoors, um, you name it. And, um, and then we have our um, leadership and, and life skills program, so everyone, we developed this life skills through sports curriculum, so that people can learn, um, you know, conflict mediation, leadership, communication, all of these different skills that they can use in life, they can learn through sports, um, and then volunteering. And that's something that I really took from the ultra community and the trail community. You know, a lot of the um, races that we do require a certain amount of hours. Um, trail work, um, mainly in the States. I don't know if the UK does that as much, um, but I think it's really important to instill this value of, of giving back. And even where we don't do it formally in races, we all do it to each other to help, you know, crew, your friends, crew other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really important part of the program. So, yeah, we've been in now for, uh, since 2014, what year is it now? So almost five years in total. <laughs> and um, we're also in Iraq, um, which is pretty exciting. Um. We yeah we've had we also had a refugee program before in Hong Kong which was doing so well um, and the needs ended up being quite a bit different than than in areas of conflict that we spun it off into a separate journey. but uh, it's, it's just something that I just I never imagined it would I mean I I put all of the plans for this together when I was living in a tent in a camp for internally displaced people in South Sudan <laughs> wow. I'm like what am I doing you know? know, and I, I, I launched the program. I flew from South Sudan to Afghanistan, and launched the program before I moved to Gaza, and I'm like, I, I must be insane. But maybe if I, I even just get one hiking program off, you know, that'll be great, and we'll leave it at that. But it's really turned into um, something much bigger than I thought it could be. And um, with with because yeah.
1: you you're you're saying you know I went and set this up, I went and. <laughs> just created this amazing community here um with there's so many questions really about how you can even do that because i imagine the first one was the hardest but what issues were you facing you've mentioned already that it's expected that people wear burqas outside but yeah what the, you know it's not as if they've all got Nike trainers sat at home waiting for for Steph to come <laughs> going hey guys come join me for a run and also you're you're also you know you've got this issue of, of not necessarily being secure everywhere so how did you yeah. engage the community how did they respond and, and, and yeah how, how, how did that happen yeah
3: I mean uh, some of it's a lot of trial and error but um, you know I th- I think the main thing I've learned is just not to rely on any assumptions um because whenever I've said oh no that's going to be pushing things too far we shouldn't try that we shouldn't try that I've been I've been proven I've been proven wrong um you know we have this idea that yes it's an area of conflict yes you know people are walking around in burkas oh it's going to be impossible to find you know parents who are willing to let their their girls do this it's going to be impossible to find areas is, um, that are safe enough, uh, and it's and it's just not true. Um, it's possible You have to go bit by bit, and you have to be willing to allow people to ask questions and and to say no, and to kind of sit back and watch um, and and see how it's going. So if you can, like we basically just started off with a a small group of um, of women in um, one of the m- more liberal areas of the country. And you know, it was just a week of of you know simple hikes. And these women had never been hiking before. They showed up on the first day in like long dresses, high heels, carrying their purses. And I'm like, <laughs> standard. <laughs> we need to we need to roll it back. But you know, and, and I thought after the first day there was no way that they were going to come back. And all of them showed up the stay. Um and you know, within, within two days, I suddenly had, you know, girls that were, uh, scrambling over rocks and, um, you know, using their headscarves as like climbing ropes to try to pull (laughs) the others up, you know, it really, it really doesn't take much. And, you know, it was from that, that first launch of the program where I was talking to just talking to some other, um, women and girls in, in Kabul who were interested and they were asking me about my running and, and, um, I talked about how I got into running and ultra marathons, um, and it was through the, you know, multi-day races. So I said, oh, you know, someday I would love to see a, a female, um, team from Afghanistan do an ultra marathon. And they said, mm-hmm. well, why do we have, why is it someday? Why can't we just do that now? And I was like, guys, you, you've never run before. <laughs> you can't just go and do an ultra marathon. And they're like, <laughs> why can't we? And then I sat back and I was like, I can't <laughs> and you know it's I really take my lead and I've always taken the lead um from the communities themselves from the women themselves they tell you what they want um and so it's not up to me to put limits on what they think they can do and what they want to do if I can do it then why the hell can't they and in fact they're a lot better equipped because they have been through so much you know everyone who's here Mm. Has been through some kind of trauma. Um, the conflict here is so pervasive that everyone has lost someone, seen an attack, um, lost a family member, you know, treated, uh, you know, their friends who you know been involved in an attack. And then you ask them, "Oh, just you know, go run for six days or questions." Carry and they're like, "Yeah, cool." <laughs> 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 and and so I've just kind of they've really taught me that um we we need to think bigger and instead of coming from a place where you think about all the reasons why something can't happen Mm. to just start start from scratch start from a blank page and think about the ways that you can make it happen i mean there are still massive you know headaches it's it has not been easy and you know the security issues are are pretty pretty big um but it's possible it's all possible um if you do it in a in a smart way
1: and so have you been because a lot of charities are constantly trying to almost raise the profile of what they're doing because it's um you know, to help with funding but also to a certain extent when you know as you say it is changing the perceptions of of what the role of women is in society so have you does the charity seek to do that or is it still um is security and is there a worry of how the the men will respond And so, you've actually had to go the other way and keep it um under wraps
3: yeah i mean there there are different considerations um i mean volunteering aspects Um, of the program is actually one of the ways that we get more buy-in from the communities themselves into what we're doing. You know, sometimes communities can be a little bit um, wary of, you know, what is this? What are these women doing running around? (laughs) But, you know, if you have a where you're in that community or volunteering with street kids, um, it opens up, it widens the space um, and and more, more acceptance for, for activities. Um, but we have you know, members um, from our team um, that once they go through the program, they then teach our curriculum in the schools. Um, so we're we really try to embed um, all the work we do in the communities themselves. Um, you know, make sure that the parents are involved. Um, this is something that's that's pretty important in our new program in, in Iraq. Um, and it's it's through a process of, of consultation, and sometimes, you know, if parents aren't um, super keen to have their, um, you know, girls join the program, then they'll just wait and watch and see how the girls, you know, progress through the program, and then they'll come in, in, in the next year. In um, yeah, we we definitely really want awareness within the community so people know what we're doing and that they feel consulted and, and it's... Um, but in terms of publicity we have to be very careful um or the, the training for example we don't you know we don't put out a, a facebook post saying hey everyone let's meet this day this time sure. <laughs> okay <laughs> um training locations are kept really really under wraps um we um are very careful about the identities of the people who are in the in the program so we have roles um in terms of social media and you know it drives uh, our communications there's uh, someone on our board borders in charge of our communications and she gets it now but at the beginning it drives her nuts it drove her nuts because he would look at these other organizations that would post these you know cute little mm-hmm. photos of you know afghan girls wearing headscarves engaged in sports smiling <laughs> running around and and we we don't do that um We have certain rules about, um, yeah, wearing sunglasses, shots from the side. We don't want anyone's, um, you know, full names used. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have fake names. It's hard for some of the girls, especially the older ones, um, the women, the ones who are above 18 as well, because it's their identity and they're proud of what they're doing and they are on Instagram and they want to (laughs) post what they're doing and say that they just did a run here and a run there, um, but there are pretty there are pretty significant risks, um, especially you know certain affiliations with particular donors or um, yeah we we have to help them see um, that they should be proud of what they're doing, but but, but there need, there there are precautions that need to be yeah and so we've lost you know we've lost some opportunities. Um, just in terms of which, you know, National Geographic or Runner's mm-hmm. World or, um, you know, sometimes for people who want to do documentaries and we say, look, we can do it, but, you know, these are, our, these are the rules. Um, and it's just not interesting enough for them because um, mm-hmm. it's very hard to tell a story and help people feel connected to, to the women and girls who are here without telling their full story and showing their full identity. But um, we always have to think about what, what the risks are.
1: And, and what have you seen, uh, what kind of change have you seen in the individuals involved? And what kind of change have you seen in the communities as well?
3: Oh, just massive, massive, massive. Um, you know, the, the women, the Afghan women who we have um, basically running the program along with our executive director here, she started off as the um, videographer for our first ultramarathon team. She wasn't a runner. Um, I just wanted a, a female videographer who could um, work with us to what they were doing. And she watched some train and she watched the run and she said, you know, I want to be doing this next year. And she was, um, she, was she, she had a strong will in her, but she was pretty quiet. Maybe um, didn't have the most confidence uh, or maybe I just didn't see it. But now, I mean, she she's a real powerhouse. She's ended up becoming um, one of the runners on our second. And um, then she started working for us. Um, and now she's basically in charge of, of all the other program officers across the country. Um, it's just seeing basically people's confidence building. Um Seeing them make more plans for the future, thinking about the future. Um, a lot of times, um, people here are just thinking day to day. and They might rarely think about the month. Um, and the simple act of having a training plan, or you know, working up to a race or an event, um, going to different parts of the country, you know, meeting people from different cultures. Um, that that just completely opens their, their mind of, of the possibilities of what, what they can do with their lives. So, yeah, I've definitely seen a, a change on an, on an individual level and on a community level. Uh, um, you know, the fact that we're even able to operate the way we are in some of these places, I really just never thought it, it would be possible. And it's taken, it's taken time. Um, but what we're able to do and what we're seeing and what's become normal now I just never would have imagined a few years ago
1: and do you think the men have um uh, have they seen this and has it created almost jealousy within their ranks is it has it got them to change their views on on what's possible or or has it potentially you know created running as as being seen as a female activity
3: yeah i mean it's a it's a good question um you know we do have um guys involved in our program in Kabul um so and we definitely have guys working for us as well um as much as we can you know I'd like to be able to involve men more um and it would be great if we could eventually move to have more mixed gender activities um but in um many parts of Afghanistan that's just not Possible. The parents wouldn't allow us to work with women and girls if there were men um, involved. But they definitely need to be involved in the discussion. Um, and having them on side is, uh, you know, it's it's a key part of, of where we're trying to, to go. Um, I don't think, I mean, it would be hard to, to say you know, men would now think of running as a, as a women's activity. I don't think we'll see that. I think there's still definitely backlash. Um, There's definitely still a a ton of of, of backlash and a a lot of people who think that um, this isn't an appropriate activity for women, of course. Um, But in the communities where we're working and with the families um, that we're working with, uh, we've got the support and, and we just try to grow it from there.
1: And, and I guess we've, because um, what I found really interesting about it was we, you know, we went to Bamyan and um, the the girls who were there are probably the most excited people I've ever met about running um, anywhere, you know, I've ever been on earth. Um, and which is, you know, which is so, so, and actually they had that equal passion towards Stephanie as well, towards you. Um, but, you know, we... I think we go through a, a, almost a cycle we did my generation did where we did cross country as kids we kind yeah. of hated running because of that even though yeah. instinctively we, we kind of enjoyed it we had our heroes on tv and then we all got to the stage where we were going to put on weight or we just um fell into running through some other reason and now we've almost found this love for it despite the the hatred we had as a child um <laughs> you've obviously seen that a completely different way in, in which people can enter the sport and also how they perceive the sport. Um, And has that kind of made you change how you think we should get people into running in the UK and the States and Canada and elsewhere?
3: Oh, for sure. I mean, we, we still see it as like a chore or like, Oh, I need to do my exercise. And you know, if we can just tap into the same, feeling um that I know the women and girls feel here and remind ourselves it's like that feeling if you can remember that feeling that you thought when you first learned how to ride a bike and it's just like all of a sudden there's a new mode of transportation that gives you the ability to move faster explore and and see things that you you've never been able to to see before I mean that's the kind of feeling that women and girls can get here if they've never been able to run freely through the streets before or you know run through the mountains to feel that for the first time I mean why would you ever why would you ever hate that? Why would you ever hate that? But mm. for us, we don't see it as a privilege. we see it as a chore. We say, oh, I need to get out before work and then you know run through the city murmur. Mer, 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 mer. Um, and I think if we can. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that, but there's a giant plane <laughs> <claim there>. over. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um yeah, if we can tap into into that feeling and remind ourselves that it is a privilege. It is an absolute privilege. I mean, I living back here in Afghanistan, I think a lot, it sounds morbid, but I think a lot about what would happen if I if I Lose my legs. <laughs> I don't think about dying as much as I think about losing my legs, because of how many people who are disabled here are from um, um, from attack. From and that to me, I mean, if I if I get blown up and I die, I won't know it. It'll it'll for everyone else, but I won't know it. But if I if I get caught in an attack and I just lose my legs, um, I will. The one thing that I will wish that I did was appreciate every single run that I got to do every single run that I hated every single run that I complained about every single run that hurt or that made me throw up or that you know I didn't have the energy for every run that I did hung over that would be all that I would want
1: and so, so that kind I of suggests, yeah. kind of just kind of, kind of uh, suggests we should put landmines out in children's fields <laughs> just, just to give them that
2: appreciation.
3: great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. Know, it does sound dramatic. I know. I mean, it, I don't ex- expect people living in London to be thinking about <laughs> what to do if they lost their legs, but, and I do think it's important to realize that it it is a privilege. No one is forcing us to run no one is asking us to run because we do almost love it and if you don't then don't do it honestly it doesn't mean that you have to love every run mm. i don't but i can mentally appreciate you know what it gives me and um and how lucky i am to be able to hate that run
1: <laughs> mm. yeah absolutely and and so with with the progression of the charity then and of running yeah. in general, Do you, is it is it limited by your resources, um, or is, would you say it's more limited by um, society that that is in currently?
3: No, I think. Um, I mean, as a as a small NGO, it's it's always resources.
2: <laughs>
3: mm. I'm very very lucky with the people who are on the pictures and are
2: um,
3: Taylor. fee is. She's just so much better than than I could have ever been. I mean, they say hire people who are better than you, and she just is better. <laughs> she's like the, the younger, you know, more energetic version of me that I just couldn't do. And she's been able to grow the organization. I'm still the, the president, but she's the day-to-day um person involved kids you have just a job. Um I'm, I'm not allowed to go running out the mountains when I'm here at the UN. Um, it's, it's resources. I mean, we do, we've do. we been very fortunate to be supported by individual runners um, in various parts of the world. And for an organization of our size, that helps so much. I mean, if you people who are just going well, to run a marathon or a 10K or an ultra marathon, and we decide to raise money for, for us, um, versus, you know, a big cancer charity or or another big charity. I'm not saying those aren't worthy causes. They absolutely are.
2: Mm.
3: But the difference that, you know, a thousand quid or 500 quid makes to a massive multi-million dollar charity and a charity of our size <laughs> is big. Um, so we really, yeah, we're hoping to tap more into, into that um, because I think, there's, regardless of whether you're lacing up your shoes in Afghanistan, Iraq, or in London, there's something that binds us all together. Um, we're driven by the same motivations, very different circumstances, but the same motivations, and we get the same type of, of benefit from it. And I, I think there's something pretty powerful in the, the global community of
1: runners. earth and are things like kits useful to you as an organization or is it is the hassle of actually getting things coordinated and and giving yeah
3: that's that's the tricky part because we have to physically bring stuff in um and so we have um gotten kit donations before when we've specifically needed needed some items but we need to actually go physically pick it up and carry it in and um a lot of the clothing isn't necessarily appropriate
2: for, mm, yeah, course, for
3: here. So. Yeah. Which is, which is one of the issues. So we'll do it sometimes for, for running shoes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we started a disability program here, so we've, um, worked to get, um, very special wheelchairs shipped into the country. Um, but yeah, to ship things in, they'll get held up at customs and, uh, if you're not willing to pay a bribe, which we're not, then they get stuck for a few months. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it's lovely when people want to donate their stuff, but it's actually better for us to get the money and then try to try to buy stuff here um, if we can. Yeah.
1: And are you are you seeing other countries in the future for uh, for your work as well, or?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think I've learned a lot. I mean, running an NGO was not, well, not in my skill set. I'm a I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so I think I could do a little bit too much the first few years. I was like, yes, we should do something in South Sudan. Yes, we should do something in DRC. Yes, let's help refugees. And now we've kind of learned um, that it's best to actually focus on um, programs that are sustainable and we know we can commit to. Um, so in Afghanistan and Iraq um for at least the next year or two mm. um and i think yeah we just have to make sure not to grow too big too fast um to make sure that it's it's sustainable and um um uh, but yeah I would, i'd love to go to other countries in the future i'd like to be in in every conference zone. Um, yemen Let's go to yemen next syria why not? <laughs> and
1: i mean the, the, i think as well we've um the big difference between Afghanistan and some of the places you've mentioned is that, you know, in Eastern Africa and you know Central Africa, people know that running is a you know way out for for, for Africans. That they, they probably hear about it, they probably see about it, they know about it, um, and so it's it's probably more suited, if anything, to getting people involved because there's less of an education.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, we we did have a a program in DRC for for a bit. But the problems there were just uh, we just realized that they were quite different. It was more based around poverty issues, mm.
2: um,
3: discrimination issues, in that way, rather than um, here and in Iraq, where it's the cultural um, issues that are exacerbated by by conflict prevent women from being able to just go outside. Um, not to say that there aren't significant conflict-related issues in DRC. There absolutely are. They're just different than, mm. um, than the areas that, that we're currently working in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to run out of potential places to uh, <laughs> to work in the future. Well, I mean, that's the goal, if you're working in human rights, is to work yourself out of a job. But um, I think that's not going to happen...
0: You must loads of work at the moment, then. <laughs>
3: uh, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The world is not in a good place. No. No.
1: Now we've got a few questions from from the two batters. Um, they actually a lot of them relate to to the Barkley because that was the yeah. most recent yeah. race, and also I think it's probably the the race that captures everyone's imagination most. A uh, couple of questions. One from Caroline, um, and and one from Kev, is, you know, what? what do you, are you getting, do? You think you'll go back? And if you do, what will you change in your preparation?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> last year, um, when I finished, well, not finished, when I, when I did not finish, um, I said, yes, I would love to go back, uh, but definitely not next year because I want to make sure it's train properly. And, you know, I flew basically straight from Tennessee to Afghanistan last year. Um, that was when I first deployed back here. I knew my training would be shit. Um but there, you know, it came time to sign up and I signed up and I got another spot. So you know if I say right now I'm not planning to go back next year. I can't say for sure that I will stick to that. And you also don't know, you know, who, who Laz will will pick. So hmm. it's quite a privilege to be able to go, but there's only 40 spots and there's so many people who want to give this a go. And I'm conscious that um, every, every time I get a spot, if I'm lucky to get a, a chance again, um, that's one more try. And I'm not going to get unlimited tries. I might not get another try. But if I get another try, I, I want it to to be better than what I did, what I did this year. What would it change going forward? Oh, God. I mean... Same thing, I would, yes, the the physical training needs to be better, need to do more weights, um, need to work on my upper body more, um, just um, elevation, 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 but I don't know, my navigation has now gotten pretty good, um, I think, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> because I still... The thing, the reason why I failed this year were things that were under my control, um, and it was just clothing, which is so stupid. Um, my navigation was fine. I think my body would have held up okay. I just I can't predict it.
1: And, and how, to, you know, say you had had, um, you'd gone out on that second lap with cold, so with, with warmer clothes, warmer gloves and things, how far do you think you've got?
3: I mean, you have to stay
1: five loops, don't you? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think you... I mean, do you, do you think that that would be the yeah, that's possibility? That's what I
3: just... Yeah, it's it's the possibility of... Maybe I would have gotten two loops. Maybe I would have gotten three. Um, maybe I would have gotten five. I don't... I honestly don't think I would have. I really, really don't. Um, some people who do the Barclays say no no I really think that I can do five loops I actually don't think I can do five loops I do not think it's possible I mean there were 14 books this year it's getting harder and harder um but there is that tiny 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 little chance um is it near impossible yes but if everything goes right maybe it would happen who knows and I I love I love. Trying that. I love the idea of doing races that you really think you're going to fail at. Um, but you might not. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope I'll be able to go back. I hope I'll get another chance. Um, I don't think I should try it here. Um,
1: I think, I think as well. So it, I mean, it, I'd be interested to see <laughs> yeah. you living in someone like Chamonix full-time. Maybe that'll never yeah. happen. And because that if you're going back where not much is changing your approach, then you it sounds like it's going to take the perfect storm or the lack of a perfect storm for you to, to attempt potentially get five. And if you think you've only got one or two more chances left, you almost need to, um, get everything on your side to, to give it that chance.
3: But then again, you know, I, I say that I work best when I'm an underdog and that was actually mm. my pitch to Laz in my application. Um, Last year i was like well it was living in chimney, and i did have access to all the best things and that didn't work so you know now i'm living in a compound i have no elevation to train on um everything is pretty much shit i'm you know getting every other week but that's going to make me hungrier for it and um and that's why i think i'll do better
1: <laughs> i mean maybe <laughs> she wrong. gave full hog okay. in there. Uh... You should try and get yourself in solitary confinement for the, for the entire training where you're in a six by two foot room and then come out straight to the Barclay. I mean,
3: yeah, I think, I think what was important about this year was that I was doing it kind of on my own in the first year. My friend was doing it and we stuck together the whole time and that was a total safety blanket. Mm. Um, and I I was honestly quite scared to come back and do it without, Knowing that I'd have someone to do it with, but I mean that's the whole point of the Berkeley. You can't go in with a safety blanket. So now that I've done it, knowing that I can navigate myself around and I, I I trust myself to do that, um, I would be I would be really excited to go back. Oh, we need to stop talking about it because then I'm going to talk <laughs> myself
2: into
3: signing up for another year. I can't I cannot sign up for next year. So <laughs> we need to we need to switch topics.
1: Well we're switched over there. So this one is uh, it's actually more to do with your blogs, because so if you if you don't follow Stephanie already, do go onto her website, which is ultrarunninggirl.com. She does a lot of blogs on varied, varied topics topics as well. So this is from Andre Lopez who says, How do you deal with annoying feedback when writing about controversial topics?
3: Oh, yes. Yeah, it's mostly when I write about gender issues. Um <laughs> i sometimes write for um outside magazine or outside online um on gender issues i've just done one on um trans gender issues actually um yeah i how do i deal with it i'll tell you how i'm supposed to deal with it i'm supposed to deal with it by remaining open and asking questions and not getting frustrated um, to, because I think it's important to uh, um, to have a dialogue. That's the whole point of of writing. It's to bring issues to the mm. forefront, engage people in dialogue, hopefully change their mind, um, or plant seeds. Mm. Um, I, I'm not always successful, and there's a lot of deleting. You know, if people are on Twitter or on Facebook, they're just really um, Homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic, um, ridiculous comments that I, I I really have to pull myself back um, from. But then people will get angry that I'm not engaging, um, and that you you kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Sometimes. Um, but after one of the articles that I posted last year, I remember it was an entire week of um, entire week of, of people just uh some people asking good questions and some people just attacking and getting nasty um for no particular reason and i i get i i do i do take it personally um and Mm. because I, i i really as a someone who i've structured my whole life and my my passion you know around human rights and issues of equality um and when there's people in our community, our running community, who don't feel the same way um, and who express views that I think are um, exclusionary, um, I, it, it physically hurts. And I, I get frustrated that I can't change their minds. <laughs>
1: Well, I think, and, uh, yeah. I think the running community, it, because it is quite tight-knit and because it is you know, a community we've chosen, you, I do feel like people in the ultra community are nicer people, are better people, are more educated people, more open people. Yeah. You know, yeah. all, and, and I don't know if that's just because... I've chosen a group of friends from the running community who happen to reflect my values. Um, yeah. But I, I yeah. do think that's probably true. The type of people who put themselves through those types of experience are, um, you know, more likely to be someone who's, who's got empathy and understanding for others because they've you know, they've gone through it.
3: That's, that's what I've always thought myself, and that's how I feel. You know, when I stand on a start line, I feel that I'm surrounded by know people who are supportive um but then when you start to big balance for these issues it's not always the case and many people will disagree with me and I'm, I'm not saying i'm necessarily right um but i do struggle um with the more extreme views and i also struggle with um the views that Closer to the center, but still ultimately and, and this will, will come from you know friends of mine will come from you know people who I really care about, but the end result is still you know these people shouldn't have the same ability to you know run in this race, or um these people shouldn't have trial um, allowances for them uh, one of the issues you know, that I've argued about Is uh, oh, uh, Pregnancy referrals um, you know, It's a very specific topic <laughs> But um, you know, If you look At UTMB It takes uh, some people years To gain enough points to be able to enter the lottery And if you finally Get a spot In the race and you sprain your ankle You can defer your entry to the next year mm. If you get pregnant you can't um, <laughs> so stupid. thank you I it's think so it's obvious. complete bullshit Yeah. and you know after I wrote about it um, the West, the board of western states um, they they looked at it They um, and they came up with a pregnancy deferral policy right um, UTMB you know I met with Catherine Poletti who's uh, one of the organizers Um owns UTMB, and she said, no, uh, this is women's uh, lot in life, they should be happy if they have a baby, uh, you cannot oh. have everything, and uh, you know, that really angers me. <laughs> mm. It's such a small thing to change, and it will affect probably two people, <laughs> uh, but the amount of vitriol you know, that that people online, and it's because of this anonymity thing online, but the amount of vitriol that people were seeing, and the amount of uh, anger that you know this had you know why should women get extra allowances that men can get maybe we should just allow you know if i have a cold you know maybe i should defer be able to defer my race because i have a cold you know what if uh I'm just like, oh come on what if i have prostate cancer And i'm like okay guys
1: <laughs> but I, think, right. I think the trouble is with i mean there's some issues like that which i think are just so uh, black and white it's quite easy to i'd think for them to make the right decision but um you know we're i'm i'm very aware of it as a podcast um with, with ali's not co-presenting with jody and i it is, it's is two white males and um and i, I don't think every two good
0: every, looking white males that's 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 <laughs> that's be really right we can, we can get away with a lot of stuff because of
1: that <laughs> exactly i mean people are very forgiving always, for that. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of issues out there that yeah it, you you don't necessarily you know because i i think i'm you know a, f- a feminist in, in in as much as i can be um but there are some things that you look at and you i i might not know the right answer intuitively yeah. and and actually that's why that's quite useful to have you as a facebook friend because i can read what stephanie's written Steph's written like <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. I'm going to think that then, because that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Um, Because you'll look at a problem which will be very nuanced, or just very, just such a small problem for most of us, but could have a massive impact on in in another area or another way that we can't understand. And so I think that's part of the trouble of, of these online discussions, which normally would have been between the individuals involved, where hopefully, you, know, you, you can, as a race organizer or as an association, just be like, sure, let's – let's we, we just want to be nice. But when you have to have that transparency almost in your discussions that everyone yeah. then comes in without necessarily understanding all of the context, it, that's where it's, it's difficult, I think. Well,
3: I think the part is important. And, and I need to constantly remind myself not to get frustrated when – um, views that are different than my own are expressed. And, and that's the whole, that's the whole point, um, you know, and that's, that's why I love being a lawyer. Cause it's all always, always engaging with views that are, that are different from your own. Um, mm. A lot of the times it's, it is, it's just a lack of understanding. Um, I don't always know the right answer. I mean, I'd never even thought about the pregnancy issue until a friend of mine wrote me and she was just completely distraught. But uh, you know, the fact that she wasn't able, she could get a deferral in, in Labaredo, um, but not in UTMB, and and that would really, you know, take away from her goals as a runner. And she's like, you know, I wrote in the article, I said, why do, you know, women have to choose between being a badass runner and a, and a badass mom? Mm. Um, you know, the when Western States then recently came out with um, a transgender entrant policy, I was like, this is new. You know, I'm a human rights person. This is what I've studied. This is what I do for a job. But... I actually don't know a lot of the ins and outs of you know, mm. hormone therapy and, and what uh, standards are applied by other organizations and the Olympic committee and um, how, you know, transgender runners feel when they're entering races. And so I had to educate myself on that. I did have a, a gut feeling and the, the bottom line was like, yes, of course they should run and they should be able to run as the gender that they identify with. Um, but the specific ins and outs I needed to educate myself on, um, you know, around that, discussion there were people saying well I don't get it you know trans women um, so these are people who are born um, as biological uh, males that identify um, as women Um, they're like well why can't why should trans women be allowed to run as women Um, they're not real women Um, why don't we just make a separate category of trans and you know, for them, they it's very.
1: Mm. Well, they don't want they to a do they? They won't like, say. They're
3: like, well, you know, they we should just make a separate category, just trans category, and <laughs> they don't see that as something that's offensive. But and, and I don't want to speak for the trans community because I'm absolutely cisgender. I, mm. but from talking to um, um, transgender people in the running community, I mean, for them to have to run it would be like telling you okay Dave you know you uh if you didn't identify as male you have to you know you have to run as something that you don't feel that you are or it's someone telling me I can't run as female for whatever reason um and to create a separate category that might only have a couple people in it you know it's just it's a it's a statement that excludes them and you know makes them feel as something that that they're just not and, I,
1: th- I, th- I think as a society yeah. we're not really ready to have um, proper discussions about it because we're all so ignorant. I mean, it, it sounds like a cop out in a way, but none of us really know about, as you say, enough about how the different hormones affect people, how long things take, what the the impact of you know cutting your hormones down, like with acrospermia, or and so um we're having these conversations on on facebook and twitter yeah. and uh, and it it just makes me feel very uneasy because i yeah. they're all it's either based on um stereotypes or based yeah. on uh deep set prejudices or just based on yes. one kind of fact that you've read from you know someone's mentioned that may or may not be true and um I, I don't know how to resolve it yet but i think it's going to be quite a few years before i mean we're going to get it we're going to get it wrong probably going one way and then back the other and we're probably going to overstep the mark but we where already have mm.
3: i mean we already have been getting it wrong and that's that's the issue like this isn't a new issue trans people have been around for ages um i mean <laughs> maybe becoming more more open now but as um you know for me as a cisgender person so someone who was born biologically the same gender that I identify with um I feel that I have an obligation to educate myself we all we all do and if there's something that we don't understand I think we have to come from the starting position of asking questions before we give an opinion about things we don't understand and that's that's all um that's all i would i would hope that people do um i mean i had my own depth feeling about it but i i had i did a lot of research i you know talked to a lot of people in the trans community to find out what they wanted what they were thinking um Again, I will not speak on their behalf. And, and I am very conscious of the fact that I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm now turning into an, an advocate, but I see myself as an ally. I hope I would be an ally to that community. And I think we all have an obligation to, to educate ourselves about, about those issues and what, where the challenges are and what we can be doing to actually make our community more inclusive and break down those barriers that exist. And they exist because of a lack of understanding and assumptions and stereotypes. I mean, the um, International Olympic Committee, up until a few years ago, required actual, like, gender reassignment surgery before you could. It didn't. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, if you identified Dave as a woman and you were going through hormone, you know, treatment and you were doing everything. But you still had balls, you would not be able to run as well. Like, what do balls have to do with your performance as an athlete? I mean, the whole thing is crazy to me. Now they no longer require that, which is great. But um, I actually think you'd probably run faster with some balls if like the way. anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd be lighter without them, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah. Would you? Like, would you ball.
1: really? <laughs> <laughs> well we've done um we've we've covered quite a few topics on this party. Um,
0: <laughs> that wasn't the ending I was expecting to be honest
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> are we ending on balls <laughs>
1: well we um we just just in terms of time we've uh, you know we've taken up probably an hour and a half of your time and and actually there's you're someone it's who I've always here.
3: yeah yeah yeah
1: you're someone who I've always thought we'd probably need to have two or three episodes because we've not even discussed a single race you've done really. So, uh, <laughs> and you've done some unbelievable ones that we've never talked, you know, we never even talked about on the podcasts before. Um, so, and, and I, I, I really would like to um, at some point in the future, you know, if you're happy to also talk about your views on on, on how to make things like um, UTMB points and entry into you know Western states and, and things along those lines, uh, how to pr- approach those you know f- for the sake of fairness, for the sake of society, you know for all these different things because I know that's something you've been in the heart of um, and had very strong views on, and, and we've not really talked about enough on the podcast that I think is going to become more and more of a discussion as more and more people get into ultra running and want to do these races and therefore the, the, the premium of getting those, pos, uh, those positions um, goes up. But uh, yeah, I think it's probably best to save that for another hour and a half.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was the ball talk that, that makes you want to end this podcast, right?
0: I've got happy with uh, That kills every happy.
3: conversation.
0: I, I, I know, that's normally our launching point, but uh... <laughs>
3: Leave it to the human rights lawyer. I mean, you know, you kept me on one track and, uh, I ruin everyone's fun. But
1: <laughs> So if people want to kind of get in touch, if the people want to help with the charity, if people want to follow you and your racing and, and also your blogs, what's, what's the best way for them to do that?
3: You're your pigeon. No. Um, <laughs> I think, yes, through my blog, um, ultra Um, the charity Free to Run is freetorun.org um, You can contact me. I get um, the messages through both ways. Um, on Instagram, uh, I think I'm the ultra runner girl, uh, which sounds quite obnoxious.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I am basically just sitting here in a compound on social media trying and find a connection with the outside world. So happy to get messages.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been amazing, uh, and uh, as I knew it would be. And the uh, you know, next time you're in London, we always say we're going to go for a run on Hampstead Heath. But do get yes, us?
3: no, no, I'm going to be there in like uh, ten days.
1: Ten days. Yes perfect well we'll we'll finish the podcast before we talk about this just so that all the listeners don't have to uh <laughs> listen to our amazing drinking plans but um <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on again in the future and uh you know congratulations and but you know so you know, thank you for for starting chari- this charity and for making such a positive impact on the running community
3: Oh, thanks. Well thanks for letting me uh get up on my soapbox. I hope I haven't <laughs> I haven't bored everyone out there, but um yeah, it's, it's always fun to that.
1: Thanks, Steph. Thanks. Oh Yeah, it's we um we <laughs> that, that sometimes happens in interviews where you've talked about like two meaty subjects, you then ask for some questions from the do-bad audience and they then it then leads you into a whole new massive topic of conversation you're like oh man this this really needs to be another hour and a half like you you want to you want to talk about it and you don't want to shut it down because it's important but at the same point you're like oh we can't we can't have another three-hour episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean do you think you'd be an ultra runner if if you were in those circumstances do you think you'd be a runner in those circumstances
0: I think I know people who uh from based like in Afghanistan and uh, places like that, and so they, they when they spend their time in the gym, they're all, they're all like bodybuilders. Mm. That's that's what they do, you know, because it, it it suits it a lot more. But the idea of but having you're to a get bigger tired, target, <laughs> you are a bigger target. You want to slim down. <laughs> Slimmer, faster. That's exactly what you need in those circumstances. <laughs> you don't want to bulk up.
2: That's a good point, actually.
0: <laughs> but um, but yeah, like the whole idea of getting that mileage in when you're in such a such a um, confined space, and there's so many challenges around you.
1: I mean, the idea of see, because I I've at times done boring runs, but. and and they have been hard but they're just not on the same level so i'd say the the worst i've done is 21 miles on a treadmill and that was once when skiing or doing one mile laps in the dark for 20 miles but that even that is so easy in comparison and that's once it's not every like four to six hours i just can't get my head around it
0: yeah um but the thing is, she's got a really good, really good uh, philosophy about that. And I think that's what really sees her through. When she was saying, I know that every moment that I spend on here means that I have a much better moment when I get on the trails, which yeah. I think is great. Because I think that's, that's, that's really it, isn't it? That's the way to think about it.
1: And you can tell she's not lacking mental strength. <laughs> I mean, but it's just the idea, the idea of being in that type of,
0: being in that type of vibe. Because the thing is, when you <laughs> you to that, that when you are a human rights lawyer, you're not going to see or hear nice things. That is not a job, a job where you are going to be, you know, having a, having a nice week of work. Um, You know, of course when you achieve things, but there's, there's always going to be, there's, there's enough human rights uh, violations and problems in the world to basically keep people busy for, for a long, long time. And so it's, it's got to be, you know, that's, there's got to be, it's like certain mental toughness about that. Um, yeah. But you, do you also know that you're going to be sent to really, really shit places.
1: Um, even and, and that's the trouble when, it, as, as, as that job, even when something good happens, like yay, Afghanistan, say, you know, withdraw from Iraq or withdraw from Afghanistan or wherever it may be, you know, you're like, oh, great, we're, we're this is all good now. So now I'm going from the tail end of a bad situation into like the guts of the worst. So you'll probably next be, as she said, Yemen, Syria, where probably the, I, I'd imagine her time now in Afghanistan, she's used to the stories, but also they're probably not as as many issues coming through whereas if you go someone like Syria I mean the backlog must be insane and so I imagine the ones you hear first are the ones where it's affecting thousands I mean it must yeah, be yeah
0: like war well, crimes and everything else goes with that that's it and it's always there's never like human rights violations in really nice tropical places are there I mean there are I mean there are a lot but they're always in like dusty desert jungles right really hostile environment the hostility and there's a there's a connection between the hostility in the environment
1: and come the... On the caribbean step up <laughs> come on, it's exactly. like you're encouraging like come on guys you're like what's happening i mean
0: that's not all i'm saying i'm not saying that you know it'd be good if it just but, but well, what it'd be know, nice
1: it's, for a change
0: it's an it's in never hear about <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, here we are
0: laughing about human rights violations. That's <laughs> it's a it's a new low on the podcast. It is,
1: wow, yeah, it's true, it's true.
0: But no, but the same thing is that they're never um because of the human rights violations are always in uh they they seem to seem to be in like hostile places. I mean, the human rights violations seem
1: <laughs> to be in hostile places no point. like hostile
0: running environments <laughs> right, yeah. of course... <laughs> the thing we is there's always, a about... connection. there's always a connection between a dictator and human rights violations it's really weird isn't it it's why can't seems... they all just get along they always seem to be in war zones what are the chances <laughs> uh yeah the um I don't know, I lost my train of thought there. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure it wasn't that interesting anyway.
1: But the I mean, the, the charity itself, um, there's very few... Because I think we're almost at the the point of saturation of charities where there aren't really many new concepts for charities unless... That, like, it, typically, if you hear about a new charity it's going to be a really rubbish one where it's so specific. It's like the, Oh, the, the musker hounds. So the, that the the hounds breed of dog turns out they've got limp legs. We're raising money for that. Or just something so, so niche that, you are like, okay, most places have a charity established for them in a set pattern or a set way that you're like, okay, it's for a different country. All it's It's for children here or for children there or for cancer here, for cancer there. But, this one is so different to any kind of because even in the UK the idea of running as a therapy is is fairly new yeah and you know we, we've spoken to the running charity already um really good episode of Alex Eagle if you haven't listened to that do Batters and about the power that's having for homeless people and that is a groundbreaking concept that is it's only a few years old whereas you know, the idea, and it's still, even now, she's told us about it, and I've seen it, but it still seems insane. The idea of being able to set up running and sports communities for women in Afghanistan, in Iraq, is when she can, you know, she can barely leave the compound. You know, she, she can't go out for a restaurant in Kabul, um, and yet she's setting up running clubs in rural afghanistan
0: i mean it's incredible well the thing is what i love about that is that that the story she told where she was saying that um she was thinking oh you know uh, am i putting too much pressure on them to to do this am i trying Mm. to move them too fast and it was them who were desperate to do it who just like well why wait let's do it now which is Mm. i mean that is that is so encouraging that is just the 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 fact that you know that it's crying out for it but um you know that it's actually been driven by by the people on the ground as
1: well and and the, i think this is where we're running because it it probably could be any kind of activity where if you offer them something new that they can get into you know as as humans we i think we do like just doing things and, and getting passionate about stuff and the good thing about running is that is that simplicity and they probably can all get their hands on some kind of pair of trainers, or if not, just hiking. The concept of hiking, it's, it seems so normal to us, but yeah. you go to other cultures and they don't instinctively think, hey, there's a big hill, I want to walk up it. No,
0: not, when you're, when, not when you're predominantly using walking as a way to actually live your, yeah. your life normally. Yeah. there's many i mean outside of outside of like western civilization the idea of getting up and going for a run in the first place as a form of relaxing is yeah. a is a pretty strange thing to do
1: yeah yeah and 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 but we i mean we've, we've talked in the past about the power of running and how it does help with anxiety it helps with stress levels all these things and i'm sure all of these people as she said there's no one in afghanistan who hasn't had some kind of Really horrific story relating to someone they know, um, or some kind of personal tragedy, and so they're all going to be suffering, suffering emotionally, mentally, physically, for um in ways that their medical system will never be able to address or even probably yeah. even consider. That's, so, absolutely,
0: that's absolutely true, actually, because you just the thing is when you when you like hear on the news or your main outlets to, to hear about this, it's always about you know, actually, you know, imminent physical danger and then issues like, um, you know, uh, food, water, shelter. But, you know, nothing is ever really talked about in terms of like all the, the lasting mental damage and the, the trauma and everything that goes with it. I mean, and, and, you know, I mean, that's going to be so incredibly deficient.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and, and we, we had the like the tiniest taste of what it's like to live in you know, slight fear, probably in the, the 60s, 70s, 80s ira bombings but it wasn't really that much of a consideration for us you know you'd you might if there was a bag on the tube be like "Uh oh there's a bag on the tube but they will be living aware that at any time the taliban you know um isis or um could could return could attack there could be could be amongst them because it has happened before and it's it's you know, likely it might happen again and so that is something that will weigh on you physically and mentally you know that that draining effect of constant awareness um and so yeah running's perfect for that um and there's it's not well i'd say this and the running charity the two times since street child where i've thought actually should you know should we be diverting our our funds elsewhere you know our our attention our love our support um how
0: much money have you raised for street child now i think you've done a pretty good stint have you got your have you got the school named after
1: you yet (laughs) i don't know you Um, still haven't it's like they're holding that over you (laughs) no i don't i don't really care i mean it's such a vanity thing isn't it Um, absolutely (laughs) if you don't want it can i name it (laughs) yeah but something like that though where you almost think this is it's directly linked to us as runners as well um and running is a community and it would be amazing actually you know i'm, I'm still facebook friends with quite a few of the uh, of of the people i met in afghanistan and they're they're more skiers actually rather than runners interestingly enough but um yeah do If you know if you're if you're thinking of supporting a charity in the near future do consider steps it's it's such a good organization i love the fact as well and this is something i have a bit of a well fairly strong views on that she's saying she she is annoyed with how many people set up their own charities you've got the mo farah charity you've got the the baby johnny charity you've got and actually i love the fact that she didn't want to set one up and she tried to do it under someone else's umbrella and there was no one else who could do it and wanted to do it was prepared to do it so that's why she set up the own charity but um yeah she she 's no longer i think she 's a trustee but she 's no longer directly involved she 's managed to like, empower people enough and that 's part of it as well she 's using a lot of locals to actually do the support yeah um, yeah but the well we we 've got a whole new topic i think for which i 'd love to get steph to to come back and talk talk about which is about the role of running um and women in uh, in particular and on society and whether we kind of touched the surface a little bit. Um, Steph's got some very cemented viewpoints um, and very, very passionate about the power of running to change society and actually how women aren't represented firmly or or strongly enough in the running community and how we actually should be using things like race entries, qualifiers, um, prizes, everything like that um, to encourage more women into the sport. And actually that should be that should try, should be more strongly um, weighted towards than just what's fair. 50% of men, 50% of women should get, you know, those types of things. So I'd love to yeah. go into all of that with her um, because a lot of the time, these micro issues will come up that I haven't really considered and won't necessarily have, have, have a strong view on or haven't thought through. And she's very good at actually being able to to point out why she has her views and, and what what impact everything will have on society and on running and blah 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 yeah. But, yeah but the thing is the thing is actually yeah by pure accident
0: we kind of tied all this together because we were talking about you know more women running you know it is things like what can you do from a, from a race perspective or mm. from an organisational community perspective? But then what can you do outside of that in order to make, you know, it's – and this isn't just women. This is just generally, you know, getting more people into sport. What can you do outside that in order to mm. make it a safer environment for people to run in, a safer yeah. place for people to train to feel more able to do that? And that, that harks back to, um, you know, getting, getting abuse on the streets and, and, mm. and things like that. And so, yeah, I think those, all those things are tied together.
1: Yeah, and I mean, my fear is actually that, I mentioned it slightly, that as the running community gets bigger, we seem to be so focused on on fewer and fewer races now. So for example, the stats on the um, London Marathon came out, the new application ballot came out, and there's now, I think, four, over 400,000 people applied for the... for the the places now so you've now got a one in 20 chance of getting through on the ballot you you look at things like UTMB or the western states and these runs these races can't get bigger in number so there's going to be more pressure from people to to want to run because we're obsessed with there are there are so many UTMB equivalents that people can do that are Equally as challenging, equally um, as good, and, and in some ways, probably a nicer experience. But we're all obsessed with just doing the UTMB, with just doing the London Marathon, just doing Western States. So my fear is, as the pressure on places increases, that um, the, the that there's going to be more and more arguments about who gets those spots. And should it be just there's only this this percentage of women who apply, so therefore they should get it, or should it be 50/50? And I think we're going to have more and more of these arguments. And we we've discussed offline about you know trans coming into it, particularly when it comes to eligibility for places. And even though it's quite a small percentage of people that are um, face with this issue, people are being pedantic about everything to do with entry and i think it's going to become more and more of an issue as someone says i'm not allowed to get into i didn't get into western states so why should you um and and that's my only worry is the pressure increases it's actually going to cause more um bad feeling in the community
0: yeah no i can absolutely i think there's um there's that situation where where those there's a few of those races, and I don't know whether it's a social media thing or you know that's, that's elevated the, certain races now mm. to to kind of superstar level as as ones that you know get into this because you know I don't know how effectively the other races are picking stuff up. People are happy to do other races if they can't get in, but you know how like you say, it's just the, the bun fight now over t- over who gets in and and what, and you know, even with the. Um, the changes in the uh, Good for Age at yeah. uh, at London that caused all sorts of ructions. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of squabbling at the moment, isn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah, really. And 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 it is because of social media. You now, previously you wouldn't have these chats, and and actually, so for example, even we we love to talk about um, other groups and see what's going on. But even the conversation in the park. Uh, in I am, I was a runner group about the cost of a park run top. What, 200 (laughs) comments? And essentially someone said a park run top costs 25 pounds. This is outrageous. This is going to be a not-for-profit. And um, this this person was absolutely outraged. Now you do get free tops. I I think when you hit 50 or a hundred runs on park run, they might change that. You do get a free run every single week this person doesn't have to buy a £25 top. <laughs> and actually, have you never considered, how do we fund these? <laughs> Maybe it's from expensive tops. It's
0: bizarre because it should be £10. Like, so not, not now, because <laughs> I'm like, obviously very intimately involved in merch, not knowing anything about their distribution, <laughs> anything about that, you've randomly come up with a cop, £10 for a top, uh, presumably to include postage and packaging and everything yeah. else. Like, what... Honestly, people are just fucking insane. (laughs) That's right Yeah. It's just insane. Like twenty-five pound for a top. Who cares? You don't buy it. You don't have to buy it.
1: It Or how about we charge you fifteen pounds a run every week? (laughs) Yeah. And then you get a ten pound top. How about that? You get you get a top three on your fiftieth one. (laughs) We're going to charge you fifteen pounds every week, and that way it's going to cost you a grand a year. No, it's just, uh, yeah, because of course there's zero running costs
0: for parkrun. That, <laughs> that just operates itself. Yeah, it just magically appears, just, yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing is about that, I mean, here I am defending parkrun, but we all know that the cost, the, the, you know, that they have costs, and those costs are about setting up more parkruns and going to other countries. Yeah. And actually, you know, you're, you're paying, when you pay for the stuff for park run. The the cost of that is going to invest in setting up more park runs. It's not as if it's going to like some big shareholder or or something like that who's then who's sitting going ha ha
2: I, I could have charged ten
0: pounds but I got 50, fifty quid extra profit on that bastard or anything else like that. You know they're setting up park runs in places where you know we don't have those races. And again, this ties back to you know the fact that it is difficult for some people to go out running because of abuse and stuff. Parkrun could be the only run they do in a week where they feel comfortable, you know, if yeah. they're or they haven't, you have know, a community around them that allows them to do
1: it. So, actually, while I remember, um, I got to meet Sophie Bell a while back, and we've been discussing when we were talking to Myrna about how, you know, what, what is the solution for people who are um, essentially new to running and probably too slow to be able to join in the sessions of a traditional running club. She wanted to mention um, something called Backpackers CLC. I have no idea what CLC stands for. And when Nike um, stopped doing their their groups of runners, they used to do runs from Nike Oxford Street, and they decided to drop that because... They want everyone was doing it, and obviously Nike want to be different, and they don't really want to encourage people to run. They just want to sell stuff. Um, sorry, Nike. Uh, so they so that instead they set up one that goes from the Asics store Oxford Street, and it's five k, um, and it takes thirty minutes down to walking. So if you're in London, sorry, not everyone do badders, but um, if you're in London and you, you want to get into running, you you don't feel you can join a community that's at a similar pace to yourself look up backpackers clc um and they're the type of group that hopefully can start in most cities because I, I do think it'd be and, and actually a lot of it that's the solution isn't it if you run with other people you probably don't get abuse it's hard and it's inconveniencing but the better the stronger a community the more a community you can make the, the more protection you've got in essence
0: yeah yeah, 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 actually, that's, that harks back to some of the other things that um, uh, people were saying. So I, I made some joke about, because um, people were saying, you know, getting, getting abuse of a sexual nature. And I said, well, you should stop running with the hash then, um, yeah. <laughs> implying, of course, that they're full of pervs, which, of course, they are. Um, but also, it's that safety in numbers thing. It's that safety in numbers thing makes a, makes a massive difference as well, um, which, again, you know, running clubs don't don't cater for people that like you say are getting into it
1: yeah and and actually it's not that they they wouldn't want to it's just that they can't because they haven't got the critical mass um so it is difficult but uh wow whew, what an episode we've been through the highs and lows of running well
0: yeah that's it we've talked about subjects we know nothing about again and <laughs> uh, come out the other side to do knowing very little but <laughs> hopefully <laughs> hopefully if you know something let us at badboyrunning.com just correct us Tell yeah, us. yeah we'd love to hear your view know. you. yeah we're, but... just don't don't think of us as here to give you uh, any information it's just we're here to start a conversation <laughs> and you may think you may think that the points that we are making are ill-informed or unjustified but intentional actually, they're intentional. They're just talking points. We're saying these things so that you respond. Yes,
1: exactly. It's clever, it's clever social media marketing. <laughs> but um, if you if you like this episode, some other good ones to listen to. Alex Eagle we spoke to about um, the, the Running Charity, which is a UK charity, where they uh, get homeless people and people who are destitute into running. They, we also talked to the producer of the Skid Row Marathon on that episode. And um, there's an episode where I run the Afghanistan marathon. That was we... back in the day. Yeah, Steph's probably mentioned in that. I'm free to run. I would have thought. Um, any any episodes you recommend along those lines,
0: Jodie? No, I think those. I think those are the key ones for for that. Especially, yeah, the the Alex Eagles one. I think was was, was really good as well. I think yeah. maybe the um, the Impact Marathon one as well, where yes. you're actually running for running for charities in those environments, not just raising money, but actually. Uh, you know building stuff building stuff (laughs) actually helping communities do good old good old work that people like us don't do anymore we only do if we're on holiday or something
1: yeah yeah well um well thanks listening guys do leave us a five-star review if you can wherever you listen to this makes a massive amount of difference and the funnier the better the more silly the better uh, and get in the Facebook group messages directly. If you want us to specifically interview someone or talk about a topic, then either message us or get in the Facebook group and tag um, us into that post. We we do see them all. We do put them all on a long list, and sometimes and explore most think. of them.
0: Yeah. Well, no, we. <laughs> Wait. Well, we okay, actually, no, just want to point this they out. No okay. runs. Uh, okay. No, what, what, no. Yeah. Exactly. No. This this one's. It's we're we're kind of like we we this is i i guarantee this is how you can ensure that you are you you are not interviewed on the on this podcast by messaging us and saying you need to interview me on your podcast because if you show that amount of willing you're you're just not right you (laughs) we have to chase you we have to we have to stalk you and chase you down in order for you to be eligible to be on the on the podcast
1: unless unless you send us free stuff as well like (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah unless you buy us <laughs> yeah we are for sale um which reminds us pulse roller.com probably oh maybe, yeah maybe yeah we've I've probably done used... that get
0: pulsing been... people get pulsing. Get... is that the is that their phrase i don't think it is is it <laughs> have you just made that up get pulsing
1: yeah i like it i like it they can you can keep that one guys <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for listening thanks for listening we'll See, see you later. Later. Better bye 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 butter bye 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 Baby come back bye 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 I must admit I was a clone to be messing around But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town Come back Yes and give me one more try Cas a love like this should I never ever die Come
2: back Talk you buddy